You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies. It's the Western edition. We're doing this in honor of the fact that... Is that Bonanza? I don't know what that is. It's it's a Western yeah, theme of yeah. some type. Is it Bonanza? So. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> Ben's on the case. It's very important that we figure this out. Uh, that was a show I never watched. It's definitely a 50s or 60s TV Western theme for sure. Yes. It's Bonanza. Here comes Bonanza. He's going to save the day. Or is Bonanza a dude? No. <laughs> Bonanza's not a dude. <laughs> Bonanza's like just the name of this thing. I don't know. Just a, like a, is it a wagon train? Uh, I don't know what Bonanza is. Oh man. This, <laughs> Unfortunately, no one can this, be told this, what Bonanza this TV is. This theme is amazing. No, it's great. Wow. It survived. Yeah, it survived. It lives in Nathan's head. It lives in, yeah. No, I he mean. He associates a tacky Western TV sitcom from the 50s and 60s with. Great Western films. Yeah, it's a movie that Orson Welles famously watched about 40 times when he was making Citizen Kane so he could get it in his bones because he thought it was just about the best movie ever made. And So Bonanza is a term <sighs> used by miners <laughs> in regard to a large vein or deposit of silver oh, okay. ore. So it's about people, there was gold miners, in them hills yeah. and they're out to get some. Have you guys ever watched an old TV Western? Oh, yeah. I feel like I've seen some Rawhide with very young... Uh, what's his face Clint Eastwood I've, I've seen some wagon train which is actually pretty great I've seen I've probably seen a little have gun will travel a little gun smoke I don't know Ben you big TV western fan no not at all not at all no nope, <laughs> never had any interest well there you go yeah you're just a east coast or no, you're not east, really coast. east coast <laughs> <laughs> I'm a southerner <laughs> yeah, I don't care what they do in the western right it was just too much like your life. You're like, I don't just yeah. want to see someone get on a horse and ride to see the school farm. I do that every day. I know. That's mm-hmm. what it was like. Yeah. No, I don't know, man. I just wasn't a Western kind of a guy. Just wasn't a Western kind of a guy. No. I, I like them more now than I did when I was a kid. I don't know. I don't know whether I would consider myself to be a Western kind of guy. Jake, are you a Western kind of a guy? Uh, I don't think so. I not guess, I guess not anything that are. I'm really... I, the only reason... I mean, all my familiarity with Westerns is my grandpa and my dad. Yes. Right? So you go over to your, my grandparents' house on my dad's side, and there's going to be a TV on playing some, you know, AMC classics, Western TV show, or Western movie, or John Wayne, something or other, too loud to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, I definitely associate these kinds of things with that as well. Yeah, and then there's my dad's sort of John Wayne nostalgia for his own dad and the degree to which I have that. It's my nostalgia for my dad and my grandpa, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not the kind of person that's like, what am I going to watch tonight? You know, it would be really good comfort food is a Western. Nope, that's not, no, not, yeah. not a thing for me at all. I, no. I can, you know, I can make a decision to put on a, uh, a movie like the Cowboys or something like that to be like, you know what? The kids should have a Western as yeah. part of their vocabulary. You know, they should know that this is a thing and I should, I should give them some kind of, you know, I should pass on a little bit of John Wayne to them for cultural reasons and family reasons. Right. Pro- probably. But it's, it's like a, it's, it's like an intellectual <laughs> decision. <laughs> it's not a, 
you know, it's not a preference. I think the million dollar question for whether you like a genre is, do you like the bad entries or do you only want like, like, do you just love living in the old West so much that just doesn't matter if John Wayne's on the cover, get the DVD from the library, turn the darn AMC on. And, and watch it. No so, way, some no people way, are like that chance. with sci-fi or with detective or whatever, you know, they, they just want to live in that world. But yeah, I'm the same way as you guys. I only want to watch the ones that have been sort of uh, canonized as, as the classics. I mean, I think I've seen most of the. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a ton point. of John Wayne movies and my fair share of just general classics, you know, whether right. it's high noon or once upon a time in the West, any number of mm-hmm. spaghetti Westerns, but even like, that uh i'm in the mood for you know high film uh, spaghetti western is not the one that i'm gonna i'm not going for leone right like i just don't just not your thing yeah yeah like i can appreciate it i mean leone i can admire it even he's so awesome that i think i would turn him on for comfort food i mean it is just fun to watch sweaty close-ups of guys about to shoot each other for nine minutes it's fun for you to watch sweaty close-ups of guys. About to shoot each other for nine minutes. Okay, okay. To be fair. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I have enough loyalty to my grandpa's generation and to the grandpas and dads of the world that I sort of resent modern Westerns and revisionist Westerns. The yeah, whole, I The whole too. sort of like, the West was actually full of venereal disease. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that stuff. Like, okay, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Everyone really... had bad teeth. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, there's. I do appreciate when I watch things like this, the wholesomeness of white hats and black hats and heroes and villains. And in the places where there's actually more gray they throw into these movies than anyone ever wants to give them credit for. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the thing I kind of think is, I've never seen a Western where the good guys all wear white hats and the bad guys all wear black. Everybody always says that. No, their, that's just Like old John Wayne movies. Well, any John Wayne movie that's still really remembered that we watch oh, is yeah. actually pretty complex. This movie's great. I mean, this is the first big John Wayne movie, and it's complex. It's, it's really the – John Wayne's the placeholder for Westerns, and White Hat, Black Hat – predates john wayne it's uh it's like roy rogers it's, roy rogers, it's like right? the old corny singing cowboy genre type stuff but then that just kind of gets mapped onto john wayne you know and there's this like dopey idea or legend that people have that john wayne never dies in any of the movies he plays in you know he never goes down he goes down multiple times no he dies plenty he plays complex characters he plays he plays pretty bad or morally compromised characters i don't think he ever quite played an outright villain except for hey, hey Jean- Genghis Khan except for Genghis Khan that's exactly where I was going <laughs> which if you want to have a laugh folks just find some footage of John Wayne's Genghis Khan movie one of the great uh, Hollywood follies <laughs> I mean yeah he he'll play a, a very tragic morally ambiguous character whether that's you know uh, the assassin that he plays in his last film, The Shootist. The Shootist, yeah, or Ethan Edwards, of or course. Or Ethan and... Edwards is the is the you know morally complex, tragic, tragic hero figure. But even there, it's always a little bit sentimentalized. It's never quite. Oh like yeah. Well, it's and Ethan it's sentimentalized Edwards. in the sense that well, you may not like it, but you needed these men and they gave you everything you love. So show some respect before you break. You know, throw them under the bus. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is the searchers, I think. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we are meant to, well, we should just do the searchers. We actually did the searchers a long time ago. It's been a while. We need to do it. I'm not even going to tell people where to find it. You won't find it in this feed. You can find it if you know us, but 
Uh, and and uh, it's not a bad episode, but I'd like to read it. This iteration of Sanity at the Movies needs to deal with the searchers. The searchers is a very, very important mm-hmm. movie, especially because guys like Spielberg and like that, that whole generation, they loved John Ford. Yeah, you know, and they, if, t- if, they took so much from John Ford if, and specifically from the searchers. If Stagecoach was like, uh, I need to get it in my bones for Orson Welles, the searchers is that for a lot of the the brat guys right? yeah yeah i mean i think john Maybe ford and david lean are probably spielberg's i don't know that he would say this but just looking at the way that he does things it's oh, man, like the cinematography of spielberg takes so much from the like you, you could go back hmm. i think that every time i've watched the searchers i just think well what i think because uh, you know i is wow this reminds me of this evokes Spielberg. This reminds me of Spielberg. Well, for one thing, Spielberg loves doors, and The Searchers has the most famous door scene in mm-hmm. in all of cinema, and so that's a simple reason. But also just the the clean compositions, mm-hmm. the steady tracking shots, not a lot of handheld, just just very uh, what would you just what would you say? Just very formal, clean sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not trying to show off. We're trying to tell the best story possible. I mean, the perfect example from this movie, which I'll introduce the show and who we are in a second, folks. But the perfect example from this movie is the opening where it's like three shots and they're like, Geronimo, he's a really bad guy. And then the guy runs up and he's like, sir, there's been a thing. It's Geronimo. <laughs> it's, it's like so clean. Bum, bum, bum. So, so simple. <laughs> Right. Three shots. We've established the threat. We've established. It's like we're not going to waste any time on anything superfluous. We just want to boil this down to. Who its... are we concerned about and scared of in this movie? Right. His name is Geronimo. The only way to make it simpler would be to have a a title, a Star Wars right. title crawl. Mm-hmm. You know, Geronimo. There, there are heroes on both sides. All that kind of stuff. Well, folks, the show is Sanity at the movies. I am Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Rootin' Tootin' Ben Solzer. <laughs> Over there, that's what I do. The gun slinging saloon, <laughs> he roots Sandy Toots, winging uh, guy. Yeah, the gun slinging guy. The yeah. the the preacher who's a teacher of justice. That's right. And the American way. And the American way. And Ben, why don't you introduce the the mysterious stranger? Well, he's our very own Western hero, folks. Pastor Jacob Mensel. Pastor Jacob Mensel. On the, on the, the wild frontier of Evansville here. Mm-hmm. We rely on him to occupy that liminal space between the civilized and the uncivilized. Right. How are you doing, Jake? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Taming the wilderness here in yep. Evansville, Indiana. Oh, man, that land, that greedy land baron that put down <laughs> a fence <laughs> <laughs> and hired goons to... <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, unless it's one of the movies where the greedy land burns the good guy and the all the marauding idiots that don't want any law and order. You can, the bad you, can, guys. You, can you can the morality can flip very easily in these things. Uh what is your favorite Western movie, Ben? Man, I don't even know, Nathan. I haven't thought about that question. Well, you have to think I, about it. Your now. favorite Western and your favorite John Wayne, and we need an answer for both. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh well Stagecoach is my favorite John Wayne. Yes. Um, but I'm I'm I've un, I'm underwatched. I haven't seen many John Wayne movies for whatever reason, and I feel like I haven't seen many westerns. Though, back in the day, Once Upon a Time in the West was awesome. I don't know that I like it even now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what to say. There's a weird rapey subplot in that, which is what takes away a lot of what's know, great about it. But that, it's pretty awesome <laughs> in some parts, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe apart from from that, just that movie. I mean, it's been ten years, but 
cinematically, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Mm Mm-hmm. Until you saw Tombstone. Until I saw Tombstone. (laughs) Jake, is that your favorite Western? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, but it is the movie where I learned that uh, Val Kilmer is an actual actor. Val Kilmer is great in that movie. Val Kilmer rules. I mean, let me say something controversial. Uh, Val Kilmer is really good in Tombstone, Huckleberry. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I said the obvious thing, so I guess you get to say it too. No, no, no. I mean, I love Tombstone. I think Back to the Future Part 3 is probably your favorite Western. Oh, dude, you know what? (laughs) You got something there. An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. As a kid, Back to the Future 3, definitely. Trigger the mousetrap. John, John Cleese says the one of the one of the lines that lives in my head and occurs to me at I least forgot, every couple of weeks. Forgot that was John Cleese. Yeah, yeah. he's the man. Uh, Wiley Brown. Catterwall. Catterwall. Uh, Jimmy Stewart's greatest Jimmy role. Jimmy Stewart versus John Cleese, buddy. A movie that I, awesome. I I never really clocked it at the time, but I'm sure if I watched it now, it would in all its cynicism, ring an actual tear from me as oh, yeah. the sun goes down on Jimmy Stewart mm. in one of his last roles playing a burping dog. So. <laughs> and uh, The Quick and the Dead. That's probably your favorite. Dude, how could I forget it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, Sharon go. Stone's greatest role. <laughs> it might be. Yeah, Leo DiCaprio. You've got Gene Hackman. Uh, right? Gene Hackman. You got Russell Crowe. That movie yeah. is stacked. I mean, it that movie has, has an awesome it's cast. It's got that shot, you know, where you can see through the head of the... Dude. I think that's how. Um, I've, no, I've never seen it. That's the Sam Raimi, isn't it? It's a hilariously Sam Raimi. Sam it Raimi. Is very it's Sam like Raimi. why do something in two shots <laughs> when you could do it in fourteen? And <laughs> when you can see the bullet and have a guy do a backflip after he gets shot and stuff. That sounds awesome. It's uh, you swap out Sharon Stone with somebody who's a man and has charisma, and that movie would be pretty great. But Sharon Stone, a she's a lady. B she's so boring and charisma free and i really don't understand what the big deal with sharon stone well i guess i do understand what the big deal with sharon stone was but it wasn't her acting let's put it that way <laughs> uh unforgiven unforgiven's good yeah it's good i haven't seen it for mm. probably broke back mountain is what Forever. i was waiting for you to say <laughs> yeah yeah thanks a lot jake. wow jake coming in hot with wow. the accusations of uh, uh a, a certain kind of sin for both his co-hosts <laughs> Young Guns. Amazing. Young Guns. Young no, Guns. Never, Young Guns, too. Seen it. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Forgiven's great. Dessert's got nothing to do with it. But it, but it's it's probably the best of the revisionist Western kind of, you know, the West was really violent and terrible kind of movies. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. But it's good stuff. Gene Hackman is awesome. Gene Hackman is awesome. Uh, did, did you actually pick one? Um, you got to pick one. A, a no. Western botheration i guess uh, i'm gonna default to once upon a time in the west all right so. that's fine and you're going, i give it to you you give it to me Thanks. i mean once upon the time in the west is it's probably the from a film standpoint the greatest in the genre right like i mean you could argue the searchers i mean i would say the there are scenes that are better than any other western scenes whether it all adds up to much of anything is an open question i'm not sure that uh, it's it been does. a long time since i've seen I it just enjoyed it but it's fine and and what is what a awesome Ennio Morricone Coney score oh, and man. Henry yeah. Fonda as the Henry Fonda psychopathic what a, amazing villain choice is Classic. great. He's the he's the best. It is, it's it's his best role. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. care what anybody says about Twelve Angry Men or anything else. Scrapes of Wrath. I don't care what. I saw an interview with Fonda where he said they hired him for it. He put in brown contacts, grew a mustache, showed up on set. 
and Leone comes running up. No, 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 no. But we need the blue eyes. I paid for it. Basically, and Havana realized, he says in the interview, he'd he'd bought my blue eyes. That's what he was paying for, was the baby blues. Because he wanted, because if you remember his opening scene, a little family with kids gets massacred. I've forgotten all this. which, Which is amazing. And then yeah. it's amazing because the music, you know, that Morricone score uh, goes big. And then who should walk out with his baby blues but yeah. Henry Fonda. And he doesn't play it's it any differently such than... A, an amazing setup to the whole movie. Yeah, it's... it's That scene is the best Western, maybe. But uh, <laughs> uh, Jake, what's your favorite Western and your favorite John Wayne? I, I keep bouncing in my head between... Uh, between the searchers or the cowboys, mm-hmm. the cowboys is a it, it's not a great film by any stretch, but it's got some it's got some heart, it's got some fun, and it's got a John Williams score. Mm-hmm. Um, One of his earliest, if I'm not mistaken, John Wayne's. John, oh, oh, John, John Williams. Williams. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's a fantastic John Williams homage to Aaron Copeland kind of score, like every, encapsulate every western in a western score, kind of a. Well, it ca- encapsulate you know the positive Americana, yes, of a Western in a in a Western score kind of a thing. But the you know when it comes down to, I, and the reason those two are what's in my head is because those are just the two that I, if I want to watch a wet a Western, mm-hmm. those are the stand-ins in my mind. And maybe some of that's my dad and John Wayne and growing up with the Cowboys. But uh, so I'm gonna have to say probably the Searchers. Because it also pulls in my nostalgia for Spielberg and everything else. Sure, yeah. So that's going to be my favorite Western. But uh, John Wayne, there's only one, well, outside of The Searchers, is one truly great John Wayne movie, and it's The Quiet Man. Mm-hmm. So that's my answer for that. Yeah, The Quiet Man is definitely my favorite John Wayne movie, and I hope that I we'll- still have never seen it. Well, I hope to watch it next year for our February pick, because I think we, we've been looking for those- Homeric. Those old, t- yes, it's impetuous. It's Homeric. We've been looking for those movies that uh, have some what, universal appeal. Some universal appeal, yes. Some some old fashioned about values that appeal to everybody on some primal level. And The Quiet Man's right up there. I mean, it's got to join the company of Philadelphia Story, which we did two years ago, and uh, then we did It Happened One Night, which are, is some some high company, I'd say. But yeah, Quiet Man's definitely my favorite John Wayne movie. My favorite Western? That's a really good question. There's definitely a time in my life where I would have said The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I mean, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is so much not about anything besides style Yeah. that I'm not sure whether how it would hit me now. It's been a few years since I've seen it, but it's a lot of fun. The style is sure great, and The Good and The Bad and The Ugly are all played to perfection, and Eli Wallach is Tuco is something. (laughs) <laughs> He's a character that Tuco. So yeah. I, I so I just remembered I really enjoyed the Coen Brothers True Grit. Yeah, I w- I'd wondered if that would come up for either of you. And I thought about it. I I, I love that or movie. Or if you try to squeeze No Country for Old Men in there. No, 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 no. But I've never seen that one. And I would come closer to giving it to No Country for Old Men than I would to True Grit. I I have mixed feelings about the fact that the Coen Brothers went out of their way to adapt the ending of that novel, which is a very bleak <laughs> ending it's a very beautiful bleak ending time just gets away from us i guess says the w- the armless single woman as she walks away from rooster cogburn's grave if you'll recall mm-hmm. it's such a fun adventure movie 
Mm-hmm. And then the Coen brothers are like, well, here's the twist. <laughs> Life sucks. <laughs> um, which is straight from the Charlie Portis novel. I understand. I've never read it. it. It does add something to the movie that the John Wayne movie doesn't have, but it also takes away something. It is down. It is a down, ultimately kind of a downbeat movie for as much fun as mm-hmm. two thirds of it are. So, yeah, definitely. But I do. I mean, it is such a. That, that final shootout. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Fill your hands, you son of a gun. He doesn't say son of a gun, but he does say fill your hands, which is a cool way to tell <laughs> yeah. someone to draw their guns. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yep. One yeah. of the great mumblecore performances by Jeff Bridges. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's great. It's great. The, the other thing I don't like about that movie is there's a pretty snarky joke about uh, where the three men are being hung and they let the yep. one guy make the speech and the second guy make the speech and then the Indian or black man or whoever he is it's goes to Indian. make a speech and they just put the hood over. That guy actually in the novel and in the John Wayne movie has a beautiful speech and the Cohen, Cohen brothers. Going all like, post-colonial on yeah, Ha, ha, ha. Nobody cares to listen to this guy's speech. Uh, so Yeah, that, I remember that. that had, it had some meanness like that. But Haley Steinfeld as Maddie Ross is amazing in that movie. She's just good. She's she's just good. She's really good. She's she's maybe the main reason to watch that movie. She's good at everything she does. Well, the other thing that's disappointing about that movie is that we have to lose her in the last ten minutes. Uh, she gets replaced by an older actress, and it's like I don't like old age makeup, but I almost would have. We have such a relationship with her by that point that you almost want to finish the movie with her mm. somehow. Yeah, but I, they, they wanted to do what the novel did. Yeah. Which and it is, does. It does. It's like, oh, takes all the wind out of your sails. Yeah, I mean, it's the exact same trick that No Country for Old Men plays, but... I mean, uh, let's face it, the Coen brothers, that's what they like to do, is take all the wind out of your sails. Right. And yeah. be mean, and remind you that life sucks, and remind you that people are horrible, and you're going to die, and you're probably lying to yourself if you have any good qualities anyway. Right. What, so. what's, the, what's the Western that you haven't seen that might be on your list if you'd seen it, but you just have never gotten around to it. And I just, I've got this all up and I've, you know, I've been, all of my polls are cheats because I've got all these Google lists popped up in front of me and I didn't even throw the comedies out there, but I just saw one that was like, oh yeah, I really wanted to see that or thought about seeing that. And I wonder if that would be on my list. You know, for the longest time, it was the man who shot Liberty Valance. I finally caught up with that one and it is great. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't count for what you're saying because I finally caught up with it. Did I mean, like it? No Country for Old Men is one I haven't seen, and I've not read the book, so that might be one, I guess, but probably not because it is so violent. Yeah, uh, Hell or High Water was the one that caught my eye. Hell or High Water, I've always wanted to see. I'm, I'm afraid it might just be same kind of liber- liberal propaganda, just like. It's, you know, I, I'm just afraid it might be preachy one way or another. It's high up on a lot of lists. But so is Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's dumb. So, you know, so is The Revenant for that matter. Like, I've never, I, I hate The Revenant. I, I just think The Revenant is, that's what's one of Nathan's famous hot takes is The Revenant stinks. Uh, it takes a amazing real life story and reduces it to a parable about colonialism. And I, hate it and i hate dicaprio in that movie and it's just the revenant i sat there as just one of one of those things where nathan hates something that everybody loves i know it's happened once or twice but uh i do not recommend the revenant to anyone unless you like being pandered to 
great westerns. I'm looking. I'm trying to find a list here. Everybody's seen High Noon. Yeah, I don't love High High Noon. Noon. I I don't love the moral of High Noon. Right. I've always wanted to see Destry Rides Again, which is famous Jimmy Stewart comedy western that's supposed to be fantastic. Actually, came out the same year as Stagecoach, and it's kind of the other one that ushered westerns into something more psychologically complex. But I've never seen that one, at least not all the way through. Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is always high on lists. I've never seen that oh, one. Oh, man. I, that movie's awesome. Is that your favorite Western? I, I just didn't even think of it as a Western, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good revisionist Western. I like that movie. I, I, yeah, that's one of my favorite movies, period. I just, I, But I just don't think of it as a Western. So that tops your list. Actually, yeah. Takes out. If, 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 that, if that counts as a Western, then sure, I'll take I mean, it. And it doesn't really fulfill, it's more of an anti-Western than anything else. Yeah, it really is. I mean, really... I don't I don't even know that I want to count it as a western, but I think it is a great movie. It's not it doesn't actually have the Coen Brothers trick. Mm-hmm. It just it has actually a more it actually has a Coen Brothers are reductionistic, shall we say, in their view of people. Mm-hmm. But this movie is the least maybe of any movie I could think of. Just it's just like these are people mm-hmm. in yeah. all the ways that they suck mm-hmm. and all the ways that they don't. Yeah, exactly. Some of the movies last of the Mohicans Dances with Wolves. Oh, oh my goodness! You know what? I love both of them. I cannot tell a lie. I think those movies are both terrific fun, uh, and I don't think you should take either one all that seriously. But uh, that's the Mohicans is fun. It's yeah. a genuinely good adventure melodrama. I think uh, you have to approach it on that level. If you're looking for high art, then you'll be disappointed. But if you're like, hey, it's a movie where the bad guys always I'd miss watch... and the good guys always hit everything that they shoot at, then it's a great movie. I'd rather watch City Slickers or City Slickers Part 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. The Legend Gold. of Curly's Gold. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot about what we, the thing we all would have said. Uh, the, <laughs> this list puts list. Treasure of the Sierra Madre on it, and I've not seen that, but I didn't think of that. I didn't think that was a Western. Eh, I don't know that I count that as a Western. I've not seen it. Uh, Searchers High Noon, Shane, I've seen. I guess I've just seen lots of movies. That's kind of my thing on this podcast. So, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is a humorous film, I will acknowledge. I didn't Three amigos. laugh at all when I saw it. Three Amigos, I laughed a lot, but I was, you know, 13. I didn't laugh at all when I saw Three Amigos. Well, <laughs> take like that. I was problem. in my 30s. <laughs> Maverick, as a 13, 14-year-old boy, Three one? Amigos is really funny. Maverick, I loved, again, as a kid. I liked that movie a lot as a kid, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I miss Mel Gibson. He was my favorite big Hollywood star. He the- was in some uh, promotional commercial thing where it's like, oh, I guess Mel Gibson's making a comeback. Yeah, like, I mean, he's, he was like, he's been forgiven, basically. Yeah. He doesn't he's not unforgiven. <laughs> um but but he hasn't ever, you know, started to be a movie star again, which I miss. Although I think they're in the works on Lethal Weapon 5, so wahoo. That's terrible. Best westerns. That's a hotel of all time. <laughs> okay, the 35 greatest westerns of all time. Let me see how many of these I've actually seen. Stagecoach is number one. Oxbow Incident, never seen it. Never My seen Darling it. Clementine, I owned it for a long time, never watched it. Red River's pretty great, totally sells out at the end. Winchester 73, you want to see serious Jimmy Stewart pursuing the man who killed his something or other across the dirty west. That's I want to see it. Yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> it's a good movie. Uh, High Noon, Gary Cooper sucks, whatever. Shane's pretty awesome. I haven't ever seen Shane. Shane, come back, Yeah, Shane. I think Shane, Put we can put Shane on my list of Western I. I wish I had seen. I've never seen Johnny Cruz, never seen Vera Cruz, or Johnny Guitar, I'm sorry. Searchers is number 11 on this list. 
Let's see. Rio Bravo is a classic. I mean, I like anything with John Wayne. I've actually never seen the Magnificent Seven all the way through. I have seen it, and I don't remember liking it. Yeah, I watched part of it, and it just didn't grab me for whatever reason. I don't know why. It feels like it has all the elements of... Seven Samurai I liked. Seven Samurai is awesome, but... Yeah, I don't know. The Wild Bunch is probably the best of the... Everything was terrible. How about Quigley Down Under? Quickly Down Under rules, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I saw that pretty recently. It does not exactly rule. <laughs> I thought it's, it ruled when I was 13. I haven't seen yeah, it Yeah, no, no. It's it's perfect for a 13-year-old uh, This list of boy. sci-fi westerns it's has awesome, some but... weird things included. Like what? Like Solo. Like Boo. Book of Eli. You mean Solo with Mario Van Peebles, I think, Jake, which is a masterpiece, let me tell you. I definitely mean Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right next to the Book of Eli. Five people are clapping right now. Uh, <laughs> right next to the Dark Tower. I uh, hated Book of Eli. Future really World, overrated movie, Outland, I think. Um, Cowboys and Aliens, I Wild Wild West, like Book Westworld, of Eli. and Back to oh, the maybe Future. Oh, maybe I just joined the I masses. Did, I, didn't, I didn't see it. It looked dumb. I oh. remember liking it. Wild Wild West. Want to talk about a terrible everything? <laughs> yeah, there's really nothing good about that movie. Arguably worse than the slap in terms of moments in Will Smith's career. I mean, Wild Wild West is just well terrible. It, it's probably worse when you put it in context with what he rejected to play it. The Matrix is that the Matrix? That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he. That was his worst decision of his career. Uh, anybody ever see the outlaw Josie Wales? I would like to see that no, one actually. I haven't. I've heard that, it's great. That is my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. It's really fun. It's pretty sweet. He's kind of a fi- found family. Josie Wells is a drifter and a loner who's out for revenge, but somehow he keeps attracting goofy sidekicks to himself. Uh, and it's got a lot of great action. Tombstone, Quick and the Dead, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Boy, f- folks, one of these days we're going to talk about there will be stagecoach. Blood. That's on this list. I love that movie. I don't know that I'd really count it as a Western, exactly. All right. Well, I guess uh, the, we've talked about our baggage with Westerns for a while now. <laughs> yeah, and, I guess so. Anybody got any baggage with Stagecoach in particular? Did you guys, nope. Have you guys seen Stagecoach before nope. watching it for this podcast? I not know anything about it. You know, every possible John Wayne movie is, so u- is such a ubiquitous part of my childhood that I know I've seen this movie, but I can't, like... I just, every John Wayne movie that I've not gone back to as an adult runs together in my mind, mm-hmm. more or less. Like, they're all they're all stagecoach. Right. You know, uh-huh. half of John Wayne's movies are stagecoach reimagined, you know, um, or, you know, they're all Rio Bravo, or they're all the sons of Katie Elder, or they're all, I mean, they're all just, they've got they're, the same yeah. kinds of plots. And Well, when I think of John Wayne from my childhood, so there's that famous quote, I have it here, The Frank Capra said he was trying to do a Jane a John Wayne movie and John Wayne's screenwriter famously said, all you got to have in a John Wayne picture is a hoity-toity dame with big breasts that Duke can throw over his knee and spank and a collection of jerks he can smash in the face every five minutes in betweens you fill in with gags, flags, and chases. That's all you need is fans eat it up. I feel like I grew up with That's, that John Wayne yeah, more so than, like I'm still, when I watch Stagecoach, I'm a little surprised like, oh, this guy's, virile and cool and he's got some real mojo there's oh, a yeah. reason he's a star i'm more used to old john wayne in an obvious toupee finding excuses to slowly punch guys in bar fights mm-hmm. put the ladies in their place that kind of thing 
which is a lot, unfortunately, a lot of John Wayne's. He earned he earned that. Yeah, and those movies are fun. I mean, those movies are fun dad movies. Like yeah. I don't I don't begrudge those movies or the people that like them. I, I I enjoy those movies, and it's fun to kind of goof on the sex politics and stuff now. But uh, yeah, they're not great. <laughs> they're, not, they're not great cinema. I mean, those movies are some of John Wayne's biggest money makers, though. I think McClintock was the biggest money maker of 1963, <laughs> which is just insane to think about now people really like the quiet man but what if you took that put it in the west put the cowboy hat back on him and amped everything up to 11 let's turn everything up to 11 hey you know how you thought maybe he was gonna beat her (laughs) let's just put that in the movie (laughs) everybody wanted it oh my goodness well guys let's talk about as the poster has it a powerful story of nine strange people (laughs) i think that might be the worst tagline <laughs> that any great movie oh wow i want to go see that whoa well, guys did you know a powerful story of nine strange people is playing at the cinema i bet at the time actually it was just fine that you, marketing you so? at the time yeah i've i just every every all marketing was like that right it was just a lot more whoa <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it'd be like adapted from the number one bestseller you know that would be like the tagline but yeah a powerful story of nine strange people still seems Pretty bad. <laughs> Pretty lame. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess I haven't well, looked at movie prob- posters from the time. But, but probably, you know, the idea that we're going to actually throw nine people in a room in a stagecoach. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a, a lead in, it, in his girl, we're going to have nine people playing off of each other. Right. That's pretty novel. Yeah. And this is arguably the movie that created that that template, uh, whatever you want to call it. The, I think people call it arc movies or... Elevator movies, any movie where a bunch of strangers get trapped in a twelve angry men scenario together and have to work their way out. So, so the nine strange people isn't bad, I guess, but maybe nine mysterious people. Like strange is an interesting word. Choice I, nine choice people. No, it, it's again, it's just, just word yeah. use at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I'm sure I, part of it has to be right. Yeah. This is a, requires a research. <laughs> a deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk about Stagecoach. A little context here. Uh, the, a lot of people consider this critically to be the first adult Western, kind of the Christopher Nolan's Batman of its time. We're going to take a genre that's a little bit, or the Tim Burton's Batman, if you want to say. There you go. <laughs> uh, the, we're going to take a genre that's a little disreputable, that that's B-level, and we're going to... Class it up, add some psychological realism, had to have characters that adults can invest in who have kind of adult problems as opposed to the actual lineage of Westerns before that, which really haven't come down to us. Like nobody watches Roy Rogers or Hopalong Cassidy or like my dad, I think, watched those when he was a little kid in 1945, like when he was five years old. And Mm -hmm. and that's when those things, I mean, has any of you guys, have you ever actually seen a, a Gene Autry or a Roy Rogers. I've seen Gene Autry. No. I think Gene Autry is probably the one that you would have seen if you'd seen anybody. But it's like the Western was a B-movie genre and Stagecoach was kind of the thing that said, or one of the Which things. Which is, you know, again, what makes John Ford the template for for Spielberg and Lucas. Right, right? exactly. Because like, like, those guys are in the business of taking cheapo genre mm-hmm. that you liked as a kid and trying to imbue it with some what if we put some money in this what if we invested some time and effort in screenwriting and mm-hmm. dollars in effect like what if we actually went on location instead of put up a 
a stupid facade. A stupid facade in a studio. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's similar is it's not just that we're going to spend more money. It's not just that we're going to have some psychological realism. We're also going to strip things down until we find kind of the iconography of this. Like, this is our Greek myth. This is our, there's, there's something primal about this for us as Americans, maybe for just us as humans. And I'm going to find what that is, yeah. which is something that Marvel does not do with their superheroes. They're very much committed to doing the opposite mm-hmm. and saying, yeah, we're all humans that suck, but are kind of cute. To, like, there's, there's very little in the way of, like, this is our myth. Whereas, uh, what's his face? I mean, Joss Whedon tried it. Yeah, Joss Whedon tried it a little bit, mm-hmm. I think. But, but really, the person that's carried that torch in the last decade was, what's his face? Zack, Zack Snyder. Snyder. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you, can, you don't have to like it, but and I largely don't outside of his Justice League cut, but I think he does treat those superheroes with with respect, <laughs> I guess, in a certain way. Yeah, I think he does. Uh, this movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, bl- Best Black and White Cinematography. I guess they had both. Best Interior Decoration, which is interesting, and Best Film Editing. It won two awards, one for Best Supporting Actor. Anybody want to take a guess who won? I think it's pretty obvious. It's uh, Uncle Billy, the doctor. It's the doctor, yeah. yeah. Uh, Thomas Mitchell is the doctor. I mean, he's got the the part in the screenplay that's written to win an Academy right, Award. Right. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, him or maybe Dallas, I guess would I could see I could see her best score. You don't think Friar Tech deserves? Uh... Oh, I love Friar Tech. I think uh, he deserves <laughs> all the awards. Means, means, means. Is that Friar Tech? Which one is Friar Tech? He's the yeah the driver. Yeah. 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 Always means. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's he's pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. He's great. so yeah, that's uh, that's Stagecoach's place. Ben, you did a little research for us on the Western as a literary genre before it even became a movie genre. genre. Dime store novels. Well, I mean, actually, most people date it from James Fenimore Cooper and the Leather Stocking Tales. So even before you get to dime store novels and stuff, you you have James, you have him writing, you know, pre eighteen fifties, pre Civil War, Cooper. Cooper's his he lived he's from Cooperstown, New York, which was founded by his dad. So he home was home of the baseball hall of fame. Home of the baseball. I was just gonna say that, Jake. You, <laughs> I bet you, you were you stole my thunder. I've been <laughs> there. Have you? I've been to Cooperstown, yeah. That's cool. I have not. Yeah, it's cool. I, I know that it was if you're a baseball it, fan. It, it was probably if you're a James Fenimore Cooper fan too, but I wouldn't know. Yeah, I'm not really a fan. I have read less of the Mohicans once upon a time. I think he's a terrible writer, but I remember being quite bored. Yeah, um, he's he's pretty boring. But he's he liked he was so he was I mean he was a wealthy guy, really well educated, cultured, spent a lot of time in Europe in his adult years, but he he Cooperstown was kind of a frontier town mm-hmm. at the time. And then his tales of the frontier were tales that weren't, you know, they weren't the west as we think of it in the western, but it was like people pushing west. Right. Still and he wrote all these stories with, so the leather stocking tales, if you don't know, have the hero, Natty Bumpo. Yes. <laughs> Called Great Hawkeye in the, in the last of the Mohegan. Yeah, adaptation. Hawkeye, which is a much cooler, <laughs> much cooler name. name. <laughs> a much cooler name. So he's a scout who lives off the land. He has friends among the Indians. You know, he's on the fringe. He's suspended between the civilized world and the wilderness. Mm. And he's like Blade. He's like, yeah, he's like Blade. <laughs> the Blade oh, of his goodness. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So you've got this romance of the frontier. You've got kind of a, you've got a, a a noble savage view of the Indians. There's like there's the evil ones, 
And then there's the noble ones. And if you've seen Last of the Mohicans, you know exactly how that works. Mm-hmm. And here, I'm, I'm going to quote something from encyclopedia.com. James Fenimore Cooper introduced the themes of the frontier, white and Indian conflict, and America's westward expansion, proper subjects for literary works. Perhaps even more importantly, he began to shape the romantic idea of the American West. So he didn't ever go West. Right. But that's um, really worth paying attention to. We were already mythologizing this stuff as early, early. as before 1850. Early. What, <clears throat> and what was, what was so interesting to me is that he, this romanticization spread, I think from him particularly, it spread to Europe. And it caught fire in Europe before, long, long before Sergio Leone was making movies. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you have all of these different countries in Western Europe starting to make Westerns. Like novels and stuff. So, for instance, in Italy, you've got Puccini and his opera La Fensiola del West, which premiered in 1910. Yeah. And then you've got, you've got, um, you got the fast draw becoming popular in France. It was first popular there and became part of the 1908 Olympics. Hmm. There's a lot of other stuff, but the, but the biggest one would be in Germany, where you've got right. the writer Karl May. Who start? Who was? He was writing like in the 1890s. This yeah. series, and I mean, he just wrote a ton of pulp novels about this Western immigrant to America named Old Shatterhand. Because Old Shatterhand. because you see, his fist was so powerful that he could knock someone out with a single carefully calculated punch. Wow. So all so, of that movement uh, so infected and shaped the European notion of the Amer- of America that, <laughs> like, when you. And especially in Germany, so w- w- when you uh, study German to this day, um, and they have like little videos and things of Germans talking about how cool America is or whatever, it's like, oh, I got ein T-shirt mit ein Texas motif, you wow. know, you know, and the the idea that Americans wear cowboy boots, that it's Texas, that it's cowboy <laughs> hats. <laughs> cowboy hats, cowboy boots, Texas vests, chaps. That's who we are. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that, I remember all the way through college that just being like part of the like when Germans make videos to teach Americans how to speak German, they think that they're appealing and relating to us by showing we like Texas and cowboy hats and cowboy boots and That's we amazing. wear leather vests and yeah, Texas is cool. Westerns are awesome. Cowboy <laughs> hats are neat. Oh, thank you, Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's just like that's you, amazing. ubiquitous in all of that material that I remember, you know, from middle school through college in my study of, of German. Man. But I, like, I just have all these images that were just like hilarious to us. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know any of this. I, I, I'm sure I've heard the name Old Shatterhand before, but I could have, I would have had no clue what it was. Mm-hmm. So it's Old Shatterhand and his Indian, his Apache pal Winnetou. There's novels about both of them, and then of course later on there's lots of movies about both of them. But okay, so so Carl May, Carl May was denigrated maybe unfairly in an article titled The Cowboy Mentor, Mentor of the Fuhrer. Fuhrer. <laughs> so here's, here's a quote from that. Um, the Third Reich is Carl May's ultimate triumph. <laughs> the ghastly realization of his dreams. It is according to ethical and aesthetic standards indistinguishable from his that the Austrian house painter nourished in his youth by old Shatterhand is now attempting to rebuild the world. His murderous minions are perverted romanticists, infantile, criminal, irresponsible, 
They are hopelessly estranged from both reality and art, sacrificing all civilization and all common sense. Mm-hmm. So that there's the idea that this this violent Western hero who sometimes has to take the law into his own hands and kind of makes his own rules at times is a model for Adolf Hitler. Um, so that's a I don't know you 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 could you could apply that critique I guess to Natty Bumpo if you wanted. But anyway, that <laughs> so May is still really popular. And okay, back back to back to back to America. So he's the 1890s, but 1850s to 1900. You got the dime novels in America, which are like British penny dreadfuls. They're super popular, cheaply rented, cheaply printed, quickly written, short fiction. It's sensational. Um, a lot of them based on people who were not long dead, like Billy the Kid, Buffalo Bill, Wyatt Earp, Wild Bill Hickok, Jesse James. I think Hickok was still alive during the publication of some of these. So these guys are being romanticized like instantly. Yeah, the amount of actual knowing self-mythology that some of these guys had. You know, the right. Wild Will, Bill, uh, Buffalo, yeah. traveling show yeah. where Annie Oakley would do shooting tricks and stuff like that. And that was at the World's Fair in 1903. Stuff like that. Is, it's just like, it's really fascinating. Like, was there ever a non-metatextual, if I can still use that stupid word, West? Like, I don't think right. so. I think it's no. always been uh, the West in our mind, you know? Yeah, and that, that's pretty interesting. I mean... So you have this stuff, then once you get to the 1900s, you get to pulp magazines, where we get the term pulp pic- fiction from. You got, you've got a million of them. Cowboy stories, ranch romances, star western, west, western story magazine. And then the first western novels start appearing. The Virginian by Owen Wister. Never, never read it. There's a movie of it, right? Yeah, I think a never pretty well-regarded one. Never seen it. And the one that everyone's heard of but never read, Writers of the Purple Sage. By Zane Gray. Yeah, I've heard the title. I mean, I, I know men of our father or grandfather's generation that have whole stacks of, like, they have the complete Zane Gray, you know, just like a stack of paperbacks in their in their shelves. Well, I thought I should read everyone an excerpt from the first Absolutely. chapter of Writers of the Purple Sage from 1912. Here we go. Oh, boy. Chapter one, Lassiter. A sharp clip crop of iron-shot hoofs deadened and died away. And clouds of yellow dust drifted from under the cottonwoods out over the sage. I can see it. <laughs> Jane Witherstein gazed down the wide purple slope with dreamy and troubled eyes. <laughs> A rider had just left her, and it was his message that held her thoughtful and almost sad, awaiting the churchmen who were coming to resent and attack her right to befriend a Gentile. She wondered if the unrest and strife that had lately come <clears throat> to the little village of Cottonwoods was to involve her. And then she sighed, remembering that her father had founded this remotest border settlement of southern Utah and that he had left it to her. So if you are surprised to learn that this sweeping Western novel centers around Mormons and their conflict with Gentiles, Mm. okay, now you know. This Mormon lady, one of the main characters, (laughs) and remember that they, the Mormons, had a frontier of their own. They were pioneers going out to Utah in the 1840s in a weird... Do you know that? Yeah. Do, do you remember that Sherlock Holmes has adventures with Mormons? No. And yeah, they, there no, are whole know. Sherlock Holmes stories dealing with Mormons and the Wild West. That's fascinating. You know, it's you. You know, he never leaves. He never goes. But you, you are like on the outs with Brigham Young, and you because you wouldn't give your daughter to 
the right man. Oh, I do remember that one. Man, that's he, really It's the Orange Pips. Is, yeah. that, is that particular one? I think there's more than one, but that's the one that sticks out in my mind. I think it's Five Orange Pips or some, the five, something about Orange Pips. Interesting. Um, yeah, just the way that same way that Indian tuggy cults would be used to add a splash of color to the you know it was the strangler from Bombay, <laughs> even if it's all happening in British drawing rooms, is is like that kind of thing. Like, yeah. how do we yeah. add a little color? Well, the Mormons are the weird. Mormons are weird. The Mormons will hunt you down in all the way in some borough of London because you refuse to give your fourteen-year-old daughter to be one of Brigham Young's sister wives or whatever, you know. There you go. Something like that. That's Damn. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's about all. I mean, but earlier than that, you have the first Western movies appearing. Sure. You've got You've got The Great Train Robbery in 1903, which yep. you'll talk about, I'm sure. But you could argue for earlier stuff. I found a random YouTube thing that I sent to Nathan. Kidnapping by Indians from 1899. It's like a two-minute short film from Edison. Britain, from England. Oh, from England, yeah. Yeah, it's from England. So, and there's, there's random stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about the history of West, the West on film. I could say, you know, the great train robbery, which a lot of people date as one of the first narrative films from 1903 is a Western. I mean, it's like it's the, the history of the Western and the history of cinema are intertwined. It was just always a thing. It's, it's weird that we don't just pump out Westerns now. Cause since the beginning of cinema, they were pumping them out. It was just a, a space that people, like well, to live in. Well, we've moved in the last 50 to 70 years from developing, you know, the American mythology to deconstructing it. So, and we've already deconstructed the Western. Right. I think that's true. I think it's also true that because we started to deconstruct the West, we just took those heroes and moved them into other genres. You know, I mean, oh, John yeah. McClane from Die Hard is a Western hero. Yeah. Uh, Tony Stark in his way is a Western hero. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Mandalorian certainly is a Western yep, hero, yep. you know. Yeah, Every, Solo, everyone who's Indiana in, in between civilized and uncivilized. Right. A law unto themselves, the liminal space. Right, yes. Right. Uh, the, anyone with the code, the modern knight, right? Well, Gene Roddenberry famously loved Wagon Train and said, how can we do Wagon Train in a new way? Let's just have a ship that's expand, you know, that's moving across the stars, colonizing and doing and encountering hostage tri- hostile tribes and or yep. friendly tribes and dealing with their cultures and stuff. I mean, uh, Star Trek was con- conceived one-to-one as a Western. Obviously, mm. Star Wars draws <laughs> on <laughs> Westerns. And don't forget Firefly. Don't forget Firefly. <laughs> yeah. Not only was that conceived from Westerns, they really wanted you to know it. <laughs> now, Ben, you signaled me off. Mike, you have one more piece of information oh. you forgot to get in there. It's very important. Well, I thought I didn't know if you would talk about it in your movie context, Nathan, but um, there's Bella Lugosi is in a German production of the leather stocking tales in 1920 mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know yeah you know i never drink <laughs> sarsaparilla i don't know yeah uh, it's, it's strange it's dracula plus natty bumpo yep that's uh pretty incredible yep well so the w- westerns were huge stars like uh we mentioned Hopalong cassidy buck jones roy rogers old country singers actually people that were making the nashville circuit singing songs and writing hit records would sometimes get courted by hollywood as now they would court people from other walks of life who had some celebrity and get them to come play heroes and things in their westerns those movies are pretty corny like we talked about but really around 1939 
when this movie Stagecoach comes out is is when the Western grows up and people were aware of it at the time. A, a lot of modern critics will say Stagecoach is the pivotal grown-up Western. It's the thing that changed everything. That might be a little bit of a too easy because there's any number of movies that hit all at the same time. Destry Rides Again is another one. There's, I think, Union Pacific that year. Uh, Stagecoach is certainly the most famous, but it was in the air for whatever reason. Everybody all at once decided that it's time for the Western to grow up. I mean, I think maybe it's as simple as we have a genre that's popular and we've sort of... Obviously, people like it and the kids that grew up with this want the adult version of it. Right. And how can we give mom and dad a reason to stay? You know, we know it's going to have the thrills for the kids. We know it's going to have the shootouts and stuff now. Uh, What can we do with the in-between stuff to make it a little bit more interesting? I mean, it's also worth noting... 1939, we have a giant evil existential threat on the horizon and good versus evil narratives, clean good versus evil narratives, very popular among people of all ages at that time um, because for obvious reasons. But, but Westerns became huge, became ubiquitous for kids and adults in 1959 by 1959, there were 26 primetime westerns on TV. There were only three networks. And between those three networks, ABC, NBC, uh, CBS, you have 26 primetime westerns, which is insane. And that's things like Gunsmoke, Maverick, Have Gun, Will Travel, Rawhide, Wagon Train, all those <laughs> titles we named earlier. Uh, we've already sort of talked about it, but do you guys have any theories on other theories on why the western was so big and why it continues to have such a hold on the popular imagination by proxy and our sci-fi stuff. And well, everything at the time was, we were such a young nation and we had to figure out who we were as a people. You still had Ellis Island was a thing, you know, like Hmm. how, how do we figure out what is uniquely American? What is it to be an American? What is it to be us? What is it to be a people? And Broadway was coming up with its own answers and, Hollywood was coming up with its own answers and Mm. the Western was something that, you know, the idea that we were all moving somewhere, we're all headed for something better. Right. uh, All willing to relocate for providing something better for Mm. ourselves or our families, willing to take risks, willing to explore the frontiers. That was something everybody had in common. And so Westward expansion, even if you were in uh, living on the coast, well, you got there because of westward expansion. You know, your ancestors left Europe and went west across the Atlantic. And so that idea of we are a nation of immigrants and frontiersmen mm-hmm. who are willing to just do insane things like cross the Atlantic Ocean and go up a river and start a new city and clear out woods. And that was like one of the only things that everyone had in common. Right. And so, I mean, I think it's just that that search for identity and that and something that we can all sort of connect to. Yeah. A common history. Like we just don't have a lot of that as a country, the way that Greece has 4,000 years of mythology to draw. Exactly. (laughs) Italy has, I mean, goodness. So yeah, we just don't, we didn't have that. This is what we had. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely, I, I think that there's definitely something to that. I think especially when you think about all those Western TV shows and the big Westerns of the forties and fifties, it's like, and even into the sixties, it's like, we've defeated Hitler. We're doing about as well economically as maybe we ever will. 
everything's great. Now, who are we? And one of the ways that you look forward and figure out who you are, like you were just saying, is you look back, like, yeah, who, what, what is our identity? What, actually? what, what made us what we are today? Right. And, and who are we moving forward? And what do we want to take from the old? And what do we want to get rid of? And what's the essence of the American spirit, the right. American identity? What is, who is the hero that we all aspire to be? Right. And I would argue that the essence of the American identity is John Wayne broke the law, but he's a good dude. And we're going to conspire to get him off the hook. I mean, I think your response to COVID is why it's important to talk about this movie. You know what I mean? Like how you see yourself in relation to society and law and all that in, in, as an American really does come out of our national mythology. And a movie like Stagecoach is important to our national mythology. So I'm not saying anything one way or another about COVID, but I will say if you're the kind of person who's more inclined to say, well, I want to do what's right, not what's law, you know, and that is my American identity. You have a movie where the entire, you have a really popular pivotal movie in the most popular genre where the entire moral is we're going to do what's right, not what's the law. You know, mm-hmm. not what's not what society. There's sure. a higher law than the law. There's a higher law than the law, and, and it's our code. And John Wayne's actually a cool guy, and he got in some trouble, but he and the prostitute lady deserve a second chance, and so we're just going to give it to him. I mean, I think I think that's that's all in there. I think for the boomer generation, for old old people, even now, there is a lot of nostalgic wish fulfillment of. Wow, sure was great when times were simple and men were men and women were women and everybody knew their place and everybody had a identity and a purpose that was really clear. Like that's doc, that's mm-hmm. you know lady, that's banker, that's like everybody is. It's some of the same t- same reason we like movies like uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, just that small town kind of everybody knows their role. Everybody. You know, it's as close as American comes to embracing a caste system. It's just like, yay, I get to be the thing that I am. And that's that's comforting. Andy Griffith, you know, we got the barber, we got the sheriff, we got the this. That's nice. Uh, the only other thing I would say about Westerns is that they are incredibly predictable. And they follow about six or seven plots and follow them always to a T. I think that that is not a flaw but it's a, it's a feature, a feature, not, it's a bug, feature but not a bug i think that's why people like them i think people like the comfort of seeing the same old story again and again and again and again and again and the whole appeal of genre is how can we do something that's comfortingly familiar and yet fresh and new i want to see like i don't have any question that sherlock holmes is going to solve the mystery it's just the fun is how, how? yeah, yeah. I, there's no question in my mind that john wayne's going to shoot the bad guys at high noon but the question is how? And so this one has a nice little twist of the bad guy sta- walks into the bar. It looks like maybe he's one and then he collapses. Uh, and it's got some exceptional stunt work with the Indian attack and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that like, was amazing. Yeah, that, that action scene is tense and awesome. It's and really we'll good We'll talk stuff. more about that, of course. But it's like, it's about the details. It's about existing within a formula. Yeah, I couldn't believe that stunt work. Yeah, no. That was awesome. It's amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. And it's not often you look back on a movie from the 30s and say, how did they pull that off? Right. Like, it reminded me a lot of our discussions about Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and people like that. Like, yeah. you're just actually watching an athlete do a real thing. Somebody watching that movie in my house said, 
did they actually shoot the horses? Like, how do you make them do that? How do you, like, did they actually, like, was it okay? Like, did they actually shoot the horses? They, well, and I, I can give you the answer to that. Uh, they did kill horses. <laughs> oh, the way they, not on purpose. Wow. What they did is they, I forget what they called it, but they, they basically trip wired the horses. So wow. when you see the horses go down, the horses are really going down. Many of the horses went down and were fine. You can even see in the movie, some horses get they up, get right back mm-hmm. up and some break a leg. And that just means, yeah, some horses die. Uh, it's one of the things that activists now hate about these old movies is that you see a lot of horses bite it. And it's actually one of the things that was really seminal about Peter Jackson's return of the King. You have a big horse charge and you see horses going down left and right in the, in the ride of the Rohirrim or whatever they call it. And they were able to do it all in CGI and it looks really cool. It's that same kind of horse flipping over its, uh-huh. <laughs> breaking its neck kind of thing. But <laughs> we didn't have to kill any horses. There's an Errol Flynn movie called Charge of the Light Brigade that's really controversial these days. And this one gets some flack. All these old movies gets flack, get flack because huh. they uh, were not above just hurting horses. So I'm sorry if that makes anybody like that scene less, but uh, you are watching horses get hurt. Sorry. Yeah. Kept a lot of people employed wow. and, uh, you know, made for some fine entertainment and shaped the American ethos. <laughs> dog on it. So. <laughs> Uh, oh my goodness well yeah can't make an omelet without breaking a few legs I said done good let's talk about John Ford real quick probably the guy along with David Lean as I said who most of the 70s movie brats look back on and draw from certainly The Searchers is just the movie I mean Scorsese's Taxi Driver is just a dark The Searchers people have been remaking and remaking and remaking the searchers ever since it came out you could argue like the the next 50 years like from from the searchers to to, till today is just male filmmakers trying to figure out how to do their own the searchers complicated hero who stands outside of things and has to dispense justice but will never really be accepted by the civilization he's dying to protect all that kind of stuff um so john ford I, I told this anecdote on our old Searchers episode that I did defy, defy you to find, but uh, there's a story that I think is indicative of who he was. He's this character, right? He wears dark glasses. He's got an eye patch over his left eye. He's always smoking a pipe. His wife would fam- famously give him a linen handkerchief every day to bring to set, which he would just chew on and chew it to shreds by the end of the day. So he's just like this really intense dude he kicks people off of his set for bad language he doesn't allow i mean he's kind of at least wants the image and maybe is a a true blue conservative kind of a dude he's also got a lot of as as conservative dudes do he's got a lot of gay rumors that swirl around him including marine o'hara in her autobiography saying that she saw him kissing a man but marine o'hara was never above uh printing the legend (laughs) um (laughs) so i don't know we do know that after a movie would, that John Ford wouldn't drink a drop through a movie's production. And then after the movie, he'd lock himself in his study and just waste get, a, hammered. get, get hammered, waste himself as soon as the movie was finished. So he's like this hard drinking, taciturn, Irish dude, man's man kind of hmm. dude. There's this, there's a famous story where He's walking out of the studio. He's accosted by this silent movie actor. This is this now old man that used to work for him in the silence. 
And this guy begs John Ford for $200 for an operation for his wife. And John Ford just goes off on him, gets angry, pushes the guy down to the ground, says, how dare you bother me? Get out of my face. Get out of my life. Stalks back into his office. As soon as John Ford is gone, the guy gets up and kind of gathers himself, is really shaken, is walking away. John Ford's assistant comes running out and says, here's a check for $1,000. And here's John's limo. It's going to take you to your house where an ambulance is waiting to uh, take you to take your wife to the hospital. John Ford later, we do know, set this guy up with a pension for life because he was just like this old stuntman who was, you know, worn out, I think. So he definitely, I don't know whether that story is true or not, but it's the, it's, it is the truth of John Ford. He's, He's the guy that wanted to cultivate this image as an Irish B-A-S-T-A-R-D, but... Uh, with a heart of gold. With a heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly like his characters, right? John Martin Feeney, born in 1894 to Irish immigrant parents in Maine. His brother, Francis Ford, interestingly enough, uh, worked in vaudeville and ended up in movies, worked for people like Thomas Edison and George Malays and some of the really early pioneers of cinema. And actually became a prominent Hollywood actor, writer, director with his own production company. That's Francis Ford. And so he has his brother, John, come out to join him in 1914. And it's kind of a classic mm-hmm. Cain and Abel brothers story where John's career goes up as Francis's career goes down. And by the mid-20s, John is a director of silent films and a very prestigious one of one of the directors of all directors and uh, Francis kind of lost his career and there was always a little bit of love but also resentment between the two of them but nobody remembers Francis Ford and uh, everybody knows John Ford so i guess John wins John was Admiral Ford he directed film crew for the navy he was there on D-Day so he was a tough son of a gun uh he got shrapnel in combat He directed 140 films in his lifetime. There's about 60 of them that are lost forever because they just weren't preserved. They're from the silent era, which is insane. I mean, imagine knowing that, who's an author? You know, that Shakespeare wrote 60 plays that just got lost. I mean, Shakespeare probably did write 60 plays that just got lost. Mm -hmm. But, you know, imagine knowing Tolstoy wrote five novels that we'd never see. But uh, John Ford directed things like How Green Was My Valley, The Searchers, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, My Darling Clementine, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Grapes of Wrath, The Quiet Man, Young Mr. Lincoln, all classics, all awesome. I think I've seen most of those, minus My Darling Clementine. They're all great. Young Mr. Lincoln's actually a lot of fun as far as uh, Henry Fonda's playing Lincoln. Kind. I mean, it's just everything you'd expect yep Uh, splitting those logs i think he splits you know he's got a big log splitting contest in the movie uh i think my darling clementine is only one of those movies i haven't seen yeah and that's another fondo and i think maybe it's just if it had wayne instead of fonda we probably both would have seen it but instead it has fonda i've never seen the grapes of wrath which is which which won the academy award in 1940 i don't really love the novel so i just never saw it i set out the movie but i don't like the novel i think i watched it in class actually yeah it's the kind of movie you would John Ford is known for, he is the opposite of Hitchcock, who we just talked about for our Psycho review. Didn't use a storyboard, really spare, unfancy camera movement. He preferred static, medium shots, or long shots. Usually, uh, the thing he's most famous for is composing characters with, with really high depth of field so that we have these fantastic backgrounds 
dramatic backgrounds in the background, and it's really well composed with a character in the foreground, foreground and background use, uh, which of course stands out because John Ford is the guy that really discovered and made use of, he didn't discover it, but he's the guy that said the, West should, the Western should always be shot in Utah's Monument Valley, which is not where any of these stories would have taken place. The Old West never, you know, none of these kinds of stories ever would have really taken place there. But now if you're making a Western cartoon, you draw those little bases and things Mm -hmm. all because John Ford said that's just an awesome location to shoot. And uh, so it was. So it was. Uh, He does like to use dramatic dolly shots, zoom ins or dramatic tracking shots, but he does it for punctuation. A lot of times it'll just be static, 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 static. And then here's the one zoom in that's going to really tell or the one tracking shot. The most famous tracking shot in this movie is, of course, you see the wagon and it tracks over and then suddenly, oh, there's an Indian party in the foreground of this shot. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, it's amazing. So this guy wasn't above big theatrical flourishes. He just made them exactly that flourishes, punctuation, not it's not all flourishes. It's not all fancy stuff. What did, what did Kurosawa say about him? Did you quote that or did I just read that? On I, don't, I don't think I quoted it. Kurosawa said something like, my whole career, all I want is to be like, just get to the bottom part of the ladder that John Ford occupies or <laughs> right. something, something like that. Yeah, which but. Kurosawa is very similar in, in, in the way that he, yeah. if you think about Yojimbo, it's, it's static, really well composed mm-hmm. shots and then a dramatic zoom or a dramatic dolly that will tell and spielberg can also be like that uh a lot of your more shall we say formalist filmmakers will draw a lot from this style i think that's everything we need to say about john ford i mean he's just one of the guys he's on the mount rushmore of directors like he's right up there with hitchcock and uh you know uh, what's his face orson wells and spielberg and kubrick i mean he's uh, of that generation he's arguably the most important i mean citizen kane's better but is it really more influential than Mm. like citizen kane's how you make a fancy movie but how Mm. you make a meat and potatoes movie is you use john Hmm. ford uh techniques Hmm. so yeah let's talk about john wayne i think that's the other big thing we need to talk about john wayne was born in 1907 and his name was uh marianne I can yep. only pull first first name. It's Triple M. M&M. 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 Marion Mitchell Morrison. Morrison. Sounds like a serial killer. But John Wayne, before I he was... I would come a, up with it eventually. I just wasn't... Yeah, no, I, I think you totally would have come up with it eventually. We just, uh, you know, we have to do a podcast. Before he was an icon, a stamp, a commemorative plate, or, you know, the bust mm-hmm. that your dad has in his office, uh, John Wayne... Is, have all of them, including a portrait. Your dad actually has a portrait of John Wayne in his office? A pa- uh, well, he has a painting of him, a painting por- a portrait thing. I, it's not in his office anymore because my mom, my stepmom won't allow that sort of thing. But yeah, he had that. And he had a bust of him. That's amazing. That is amazing. I, I think I'm on your stepmom's side, but still, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> John, John Wayne, before he was any of those things, he was a big, beefy, handsome guy, which, by the way, man... It's cool to see John Wayne as a stud in this movie. Like, I'm so used to old John Wayne. It's just, it is really striking to see young John Wayne in this, in this particular movie. He attended UCAL, University of California. He was going to be a football star, but he was benched because he broke a collarbone doing what? Sorry. Take a guess. Wrestling. Nope. 
Yeah, what's your final final answer, Jake? I don't know. These are stories that I all, I, I know, and I'm just not pulling anything. Body surfing. <laughs> John Wayne was a noted socialist on campus. I mean, just everything. Obviously, this stuff plays to the legend, so people like these stories, but I think they're true. A coach, once he broke his collarbone, got him a job as a prop boy at Fox Pictures. Raul Walsh, another famous hard-bitten director with an eye patch, uh, who great, <laughs> great action director, helped uh, launch who? Humphrey Bogart's career. Raul Walsh huh. uh, directed a lot of Errol Flynn and Bogey movies okay. and things like that. Just saw John Wayne moving furniture as a prop boy and was like, I'm going to make him a lead in our B Westerns. And so he became kind of a B movie actor in these bad uh, Westerns that were being made at the time. John Ford saw him in those movies and said, I want to develop this guy as a star. Uh, John Ford would always call him a big oaf and a dumb B A S T A R D uh, and could criticize his line delivery, how he walked, uh, how he did everything on camera. But John Ford just saw rightfully that this guy he, uh, John Ford didn't even, John Ford famously said after uh, Howard Hawk made um, uh, Red River, which was years later, uh, John Ford's like, I didn't know John Wayne could act. Some other director discovered that. that that's interesting. I, I'm going to use that now in the searchers. But John Ford had no idea that John Wayne could act. He just thought this is a guy that has that quality that can exist on camera and compel your attention with authority. And so I'm going to develop him that way hmm. and the studio people named him after general anthony wayne it's a famous general and so he became john wayne but he was not john wayne until such time as he became john wayne he did not serve in world war ii which he always felt bad about he was under contract and there's conflicting stories maybe he couldn't he he wrote letters to john ford who was you know over there getting shrapnel wounds saying he was going to uh people will argue that his lack of service in World War II was what drove him to be such a crusty conservative in his later life to kind of atone for that. I mean, he was, he was mad about the lack of support for the boys in Nam. You know, he was just a, a pretty crusty dude in some good ways and in some bad ways. Um, he was provocatively crusty, you know. I mean, he was, this is how the world should be and this is how we should treat our soldiers and this is how we should treat our women and People tend to speculate, at least, that he wouldn't have been like that quite as much if he hadn't have uh, done a dumb thing and somehow maybe gotten out of serving in World War II, or maybe he just really was under contract and couldn't. Anyway, John Ford took a hit to put him in, like the studios were not, in, they wanted a star for stagecoach, and John Ford said, John Rain's ready, he's worked his way through the ranks, he's my guy. And so John Ford made the movie for, I think, half the amount of money in order to have John Wayne, you'll notice that John Wayne doesn't get first billing in this movie. Uh, the lady, I forget her name off the top of my head, but Dallas, the prostitute, gets first billing. She was the biggest star in the movie. But that was not a problem after the movie. After the movie came out, John Wayne was immediately John Wayne forever and ever. <laughs> Amen. Uh, not a particularly nice guy. Three wives, lots of affairs. Not the hero that your dad wishes he was. His draw was real. His walk was... A put on, put on yeah. he would pinch his buttocks basically that's that's how you do the john wayne walk is you just uh you squeeze you squeeze and he would do that on purpose uh he is one of the i feel like i say this about every third person we talk about but he is one of the first people to be really savvy in a very modern way as to his image and as to his public persona 
and to play to it. And that's the joy and the doom of his later movies is that he's really not challenging himself. He's just come hang out, make him hang out with John Wayne movies. Uh, He's cashing checks that he earned mm -hmm. as a young man. Right. And if that was his strategy, it worked out. And McClintock was the biggest moneymaker of 1963. So people really liked that stuff and appreciated having it and loved living in that world. And I always say we should actually do McClintock one of these days just because it'd be so fun to speculate about what that movie actually represents about the psyche of people then and now. But John Wayne did those kinds of movies. He also did. I mean, he won an Academy Award for True Grit. That's not a cash-in performance. The shoot isn't a cash-in performance. He still, yeah. he still did interesting stuff. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting about John Wayne, especially when you compare him to other stars of the time, like Cary Grant, is that he aged on screen really gracefully and allowed himself to age. At a certain point, in the 50s, the searchers maybe is the, the, the swivel point. He goes from playing the hero to playing the dad figure. I mean, he's always the hero, but at a certain point, he's actually has age appropriate women, usually Marine O'Hara. And, um, you know, he, he, he has like, there's, there's usually a junior character, you know, there's a younger, uh, yeah. it's Dean Martin and Rio Bravo. Kind it's, of like what Tom Cruise just did in Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, except for Tom Cruise is much more selfish in the way that he does it. Oh, I, I think. know. Jo- Tom Cruise wants you to know, this is a Tom Cruise man, and so does John Wayne, but I think John Wayne is always nicer to his cohort of people, you know, like, let's make sure that everybody has a fun line and a gag and a <laughs> cool action moment. And of course, John Wayne gets the choicest stuff, but it's not, it's not as selfish, I think. But yeah, very savvy uh, guy in terms of manipulating his public image. You watch old, like Charade is one of Cary Grant's last movies. It's a great movie, but Cary Grant is going on 60 and Audrey Hepburn is his girl in that movie. And she's going on 25 and it's just mm-hmm. no matter how charming Cary Grant is you just can't quite squint enough to get <laughs> past that and a lot of the old the later period Cary Grants um are like that and, and and other stars of the time but John Wayne just knew how to be savvy with his image and to to, to adapt it and so he stayed relevant and he stayed awesome and he stayed iconic and people still love him to this day uh, the big question that the the critics always want to ask is: Is John Wayne a good actor? Uh, what do you, What do you guys think? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's absolutely a good actor. I don't care what anybody says. They say he's not because he's in bad movies where right. he's mailing it in in the latter half of his career. But you can't go back and watch some of these other movies, and he's got. Yeah, you can say you can say that he's a bad actor in the same way that you can say Will Smith is a bad actor mm-hmm. in the same way that you can say. Well, in the same way, you can say Tom Cruise is a bad actor. You know what? He has the charisma. He has the star power. He actually can play a role. He can pull yep. off emotion. And he earned his stripes. And so... I, I think that's absolutely true. I, I mean, I think yeah. if great acting is about transformation, you know, if it's about putting on a wig and becoming someone else, if it's if great acting is Jared Leto stuff, then John Wayne's terrible at that. Sure, fine. But But if great acting is just being up there on screen just existing in a way that is compelling and interesting and that people want to watch that extends even to his worst movies because his worst movies nothing happens john wayne just walks around and gets drunk with his friends and whatever and carries an entire movie right and just carries Mm -hmm. the movie on his back just simply through being a charismatic guy that you like to watch on 
screen. Right. And that you're mm-hmm. compelled by. I mean, he's got that, whatever you want to call it, he's got that star quality where you're just like, I want to look at this guy. I want to watch this guy. I'm interested in how he's going to respond in any given situation. It doesn't matter. It's all, and he's always going to be interesting in how he does it. Like the, 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 the draw, the, the facial expression, the tilt of his head, the way he stands, the way he walks, the way right. he moves, the way he looks at somebody. Like he's got a point of view and a perspective that's like compelling and interesting no matter what dopey movie he's in. Or no matter what his sort of position in the like in this movie, it's a perfect example. Like he has the most authority, I'd say, of anyone in the movie, and yet oh, he's yeah. in shackles half the time. <clears throat> he's lower than everybody, you know. Like he's he's literally sitting physically on the ground lower, physically yeah. in the carriage, and sometimes yet, in chains, and sometimes in chains, and and yet he's th- the man with with gravity and who's like. He's deciding conflict and mediating tension the whole time. Right. There's nobody that's more of an authority, not uh, Mr. Gambler dude, not certainly not the fatuous banker. I mean, I don't even know who else it would be. Well, the doctors the, the, who you argue. The for the marshal. Right. The, the, the doctor actually has a certain moral authority, I guess, that John Wayne doesn't have. But in terms of just owning the But only the room, one that he uh, puts on when he's needed. Otherwise, he's going right. to be right. well, comedically he's... sipping, you know, the dude's... Bourbon. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well he's he plays the fool, but he's he's the hidden he's the hidden uh what? What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I'm John, sure. John Wayne isn't the one who pronounces the moral. He just carries the authority. But the doctor is the one who gets to pronounce Yeah, like, he's kind of the Greek. I'm actually the dad the, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um Good old Uncle Billy. Good old <laughs> Uncle Billy, yeah. Uh, arguably this a more rewarding role than Uncle Billy. <laughs> <laughs> arguably. Uh, John Ford spent $2,500 for the rights to an Ernest Haycox story. He tried 20th Century Fox, MGM, Paramount, Columbia, and Wonder Boys, uh, Warner Brothers finally had to go independent f- f- in order to get half of the money because he wanted to use John Wayne. Uh, mm-hmm. He had to give Claire Trevor, who plays Dallas, first billing. She's the star. This was John Ford's first picture to use Monument Valley, Utah. So this is like the one. I have a quote here from New York Times writer Frank S. Nugent, who wrote an article for uh, The Old Grade Lady in March of 1939. He said, we formed a habit of taking our horse operas in Class B stride, but now all that is now changed. If in principle we look askance upon the grand horse opera in practice, we must admit a wholly immature delight over, so he still doesn't want to quite give it to him, but a wholly immature delight (laughs) over stagecoach. He, Ford, has taken the old formula, has applied himself and his company to it with care, zeal, and craftsmanship that might have been accorded the treatment of a bright new theme. So he's like, hey, they're doing a old story, but... In a new way. In a new way. Did, did you ever... Sorry, just to go back to John Wayne for a yep. sec. Did you ever hear the rumor that he became a Christian? So here, yep. I'm going to relay this like fourth, fifth-hand rumor sure. to you. And I wish I could remember more details. I did just text my dad, but I don't think I'll answer... So, my dad talked with someone on the phone in his job as an insurance inspector or something who had connections to old Hollywood and who was telling him these rumors that before he died, John Wayne became an actual Christian and even started telling his kids about him. But this was like on his deathbed. Right. And if I could remember who told my dad the thing, it'd be more compelling. But It, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, John, John Wayne... But it would also just be part of the legend that half... half would be wish fulfillment for half of his fans. Of yeah, course, it, of course, right. it would be. So it just all, yeah. I, I will say, I think it was a little hard earlier when I said 
I became a crusty conservative. I mean, yes, he made some silly movies like McClintock, but a lot of the things that he did and said, we would agree with. I mean, he, Mm -hmm. he, uh, the story that I always like is uh, they're about halfway through shooting McClintock and he's like, Marine, when are you going to just go home? And she's like, well, okay, if you say so. And so she retired from acting for about a decade until her husband, who she liked, loved a lot, died. And then she, she came back. Uh, we, we actually probably missed a lot of great Marine O'Hara performances for about a decade because John Wayne just said, ah, go, go be a wife and mother. So you'll, you'll hear a lot of stories like that that you'll that are that you'll actually kind of like. You'll hear those kinds of stories about John Ford too. I mean, they definitely were not fake conservative. I don't think. I mean, uh-huh. they, they 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 believed some of this stuff. They just didn't live up to it in their personal lives. Uh, John Ford maybe did. I mean, there's the gay rumors, but he was a one woman man, as far as we know. Of course, there's always scandalous rumors about every Hollywood celebrity. John Wayne definitely not a one woman man. Uh, there have been two remakes of Stagecoach. Did you guys know this? I knew no. there was one. The the uh, I kind of like the cast for the '60s version. It's got um, Anne Margaret, famous uh, Anne Margaret from Bye Bye Birdie, as uh, Dallas. <laughs> She'd be a good Dallas, I guess. Um, maybe maybe too uh, inner prime of a Dallas. But it's got red buttons as Mr. Peacock, the whiskey salesman. It's got Bing Crosby as the doctor oh my goodness the number of times Bing Crosby is in bad remakes of bad remakes of classic movies that is amazing was it Philadelphia Story Philadelphia Story did uh, uh, across from uh, what's his face right Uh, (laughs) and you could even kind of argue that White Christmas is a bad remake of a great movie (laughs) Holiday Inn but uh, White Christmas is great in its own way Uh, Slim Pickens plays Buck the stage driver which is perfect because Slim Pickens is the modern uh Hey, everybody, guy. Uh, Stephanie Powers plays Mrs. Mallory. Stephanie Powers is uh, the daughter in McClintock. She's kind of a famous girl from that era. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I'll talk very briefly about the other cast. Clara Trevor, who plays Dallas the prostitute, or I guess technically she's a dance hall girl. We can't say prostitute in this movie, but who are we kidding? She always played bad blondes. She played. She had a line of great bad blondes that she played uh she played in the philip marlowe movie murder my sweet one of the best philip marlowe movies born to kill key largo with humphrey bogart she's in a lot of great classic noir kind of stuff back then andy divine you guys already sussed out what he's most famous for among our generation at least which is friar tuck in that uh truly awful my most controversial of takes the most that truly awful disney totally wrong robin hood False. There's going to be a big to-do in Nottingham. He says stuff like that. <laughs> Thomas Mitchell, of course, Uncle Billy. And uh, he's uh, Mr. O'Hara, Scarlet's dad and Gone with the Wind. Hmm. Those are his big. Interesting. But I think he's most well-known for this. Uh, Donald Meek is the name of the guy that plays the whiskey salesman, which is an awesome name for him. Yep. And he always played put-upon little bespeckle. I can't think of one right now. John Carradine as Hatfield. I kept trying to find what i knew him from yeah i did too and, and I, I couldn't i, I couldn't he find did look familiar but i know i've seen him play yeah the, the exact same, same character, character. like the and, bank expect inspector and yeah mm-hmm. it's a wonderful life but it's not him but, no you know it's roles like that right yeah i don't know but uh he's great at playing those kinds of guys i mean he's just a, a wonderful type uh john carradine plays hatfield he was a shakespearean actor if you can imagine that he played dracula famously a couple times and uh, John Ford loved to use him. Cecil B. DeMille also loved to use him. Is he the father of uh, David? 
Yes, he's the father of Keith Carradine, David Carradine. All huh. the the Carradine dynasty comes from wow. John. He plays Aaron in the Ten Commandments. Certain kind of person might remember him from that. A certain kind of person is me. We grew up watching the Ten Commandments every Easter or whatever, whenever they had it on TV. We did too. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille used him any number of times. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille liked his uh, wooden Shakespearean delivery. Actually, he's quite good in this. I shouldn't make fun. But that's all the context on John Ford, John Wayne, Stagecoach. But but wait, Nathan, I see that the other remake of Stagecoach in the 80s was a country music star-filled... That's right. I forgot about that. With Johnny Cash, Smash. Right? Yeah. Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. Yeah, it's like all the kind of country and Western stars from that time. It's amazing. It's so weird. Boy. Well, uh, what'd you guys think about S- Stagecoach? It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good stuff. <laughs> I think I might have oversold it a little bit. I've been telling people, like, this is a classic. It's the best John Wayne movie I've ever seen. I kind of got excited about it after I watched it. Uh, I, I'd, I'd seen it before a long time ago, but I hadn't seen it recently. But watching it again, I was just like, this is really classy. And this is a really, this is a really good story. And it's kind of emotional. And the actions, like that action, that the big action scene is just terrific. Yeah. I mean, like, it's this is like George Miller <laughs> stuff of its time. Like, this is... This is more exciting than most modern action scenes. So yeah, maybe I overhyped it a little bit. I mean, it is basic. I mean, it is like you've seen it ripped off a thousand times. You've seen this exact plot. Even if you've never seen a Western, you've seen some variation of this exact plot, mm-hmm. whether it's M. Night Shyamalan's elevator <clears throat> or whatever that thing was called that I never saw where it's like a bunch of people trapped in, the ele- in an elevator with the devil or oh, something. Oh, right. That. Uh, up. up. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wasn't that the fix- no. Pixar? <laughs> yes, I'm just kidding. I don't know what it was called. So terrible. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, would you guys recommend this to our, our listeners? Do you think it transcends? Do you think it's just an interesting academic piece? Like, oh, it's a fun, it's a fun little movie. It's a fun date night movie. It's a fun movie to, you know, if you want to introduce your kids to the Western as a genre, right? It'll do just fine. Is it because I, yeah. I don't know that you're the quality of the of what we have it's not just black and white it's it's got some real lo-fi moments that make it a challenge it would make it a challenge i think for kids yeah i think that's true this movie unfortunately was independently financed and they just didn't keep take care of the print as well as maybe a big studio with big vault would have done mm-hmm. um and the print the the rights have kind of bounced around and it's not in color and i think for those reasons it's maybe not as people don't go back to it as much as even something like she wore a yellow ribbon or some of those other ford mm. wayne not the searchers <clears throat> right things but it's every bit they're equal in its original form it's you know maybe you have to use a little imagination to see past some of the film decay at some points but that didn't bother me too much. Um, nah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's probably not a lot to say about this movie, but I'll take it through us, us through it real quick. So you have that short prologue where they're like, ah, that Geronimo, he really sucks. And then the guy's like, sir, Cable, it's Geronimo. <laughs> and it takes all of about 30 seconds. And then you have Andy Devine getting earning every cent of his paycheck by being around for all that exposition. There's like 12 minutes of exposition and uh, Andy Devine's just there to be like, gosh, I'm just a dispensing exposition here. 
your character is kind of like this, and the situation that we're going into is kind of like this, and he just does all that stuff. Who's who are your guys' favorite of the of our people of our nine strange people? <laughs> Who'd you really find yourself rooting for and responding to, or and who didn't you like? I'll tell you, who, I didn't like that banker guy. What a jerk! Mm-hmm. Banker guy was a jerk. He was a jerk the whole time. <laughs> Movie I, shot I, during depression. I think the gambler was one of the m- most interesting. Yes. Simply because it's like, oh, he's a really bad guy. Oh, but is he a bad? Yeah, he's a really bad guy. Uh, he's the bad guy. Uh, he's a bad, but actually, but. Did you think he was all that bad of a guy? I mean, he was obviously coming from something shady and you were obviously supposed to not want him to shoot Mrs. What's-Her-Face at the end. Right. But also his intention was to keep her from, you yeah. know, worse. Yeah. I, it's just like, there was this complexity there. It was like, oh, he's going to try to seduce the married woman. Right. You know, no, that's actually, his whole angle. He was he was trying to atone for something having to do with her father. At least that's my what right. I was well, and I love that they never tell you. It's a yeah, great right. Example yeah, of yeah that was great. Told. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was great. I don't know. I just in terms of like actual, you know, having some, you know, and then he dies. You know? Right, and doesn't get to finish his like. If you see my father, judge what's his name. Tell him, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite. I just thought. I mean, I, I hate to be basic, but uh, I think my favorite. Well, my favorite is John Wayne, but sure. also yep. also Doc. I mean, Doc's, <laughs> sure. Doc's. They're supposed to be your favorite. Yeah, they're supposed to be my favorite. I'll tell you who else I didn't like was that Law and Order League. All those old mm, crones. Yeah. Drumming Doc and. <laughs> shaming, shaming the prostitute. <laughs> shaming and... the prostitute, driving her out of town. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty fun. I just like the typecasting of uh, <laughs> let's get these old, dried up looking ladies to play <laughs> play the law and order, order league. How about to play the Christians? Right. How about Senor? I think the Apaches no attack me. I think. Guys, <laughs> 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 <That is> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not a movie. He's got his Apache wife. That- it's like clearly though. Spanish <laughs> singing Spanish songs. Yeah. Oh man. Oh my goodness. Uh, John Wayne did, or John Wayne. John Ford does have a corny sense of humor. Even The Searchers, <laughs> which is so regarded as this iconic dark, like it's got all these like corny, like fist fight, like uh, I'm in love with your woman and you're in love with my woman. I'm gonna punch you into some water. <laughs> kind of. This movie has like uh, Andy oh, Devine, man. like somebody's talking about scalping so he like takes his hat and puts it over his head you know and he's like oh yeah power. <laughs> it's like all this <laughs> all this kind of stuff yeah, it's so, amazing um and of course uh, if it's worth it's worth saying 1939 we're still in the great depression so it's just so easy to write an evil banker and <laughs> give him nothing redeeming to do give him a bunch of stupid speeches have him get in the carriage and like man spread and be annoying to all the ladies and yeah he's nails on the chalkboard the whole time he wasn't even fun evil he was just nails on the chalkboard like oh, I'm, an, I'm an annoying person yeah he kind of wanted like mr potter or uh yeah. somebody with a little bit more <laughs> somebody that would have had a little bit more fun with it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe you actually hate this guy more than you would a, an actor that was having too much fun with it so mm-hmm. yeah he's a better sort of scapegoat for to, to kick around but uh yeah uh so we 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 go on our journey we meet john wayne he's got that one of the best this is a movie star now entrances of all time with a really dramatic zoom in like hey 
It's John Wayne, and he's iconic now. <laughs> Isn't he handsome? Isn't he handsome? He is handsome here. Mm-hmm. It is amazing to see John Young. I mean, it is one of those things where you sometimes forget, like, what you, you know, you're so used to dad bod sort of old man Tom Hanks, and then you watch, like, you know, Splash or something like that. I don't know. Big or something. You're like, oh, that's why this guy became a star. Like, this guy has some real uh, virile energy and charisma and stuff and you know you still like him now but like he didn't become famous doing what he's doing now he became famous for that uh, it's nice to see john wayne and be like oh yeah this is like a young leading man dude mm-hmm. and then we have the dry fork way station where the coach stops for food got the dinner table scene where everyone's mm. like we're, we don't like prostitutes. We're going to sit at the other end of the table. And John, John Wayne. Wayne's going to act like it must be me. That was really sweet. Yeah, it was. That was super sweet. sweet. Yeah, it made me tear up. Yeah. Good for you, John Wayne. Yeah. I don't know. And, and that's, I mean, even saying it that way is just like the fun of the iconic character he created. Mm-hmm. Like you really end up, everybody ends up believing that that's just who John Wayne is. And he's just... He happens to be caught on film being himself. I think that's so true. I mean, even down to him riding a horse or cocking a rifle or whatever, it's like, I just believe that this guy could do those things. It doesn't matter knowing about his history. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. knowing he was just some bimbo himbo from UCAL that became a prop boy. Like, it just doesn't matter. John Pretty Wayne. Pretty boy surfer dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Wayne. Named Marion. Right. <laughs> Marion Morrison. The surf, the guy that broke his collar, bone surfing and couldn't even make it as a football player. It, it's just the uh, the guy has such authenticity. Like I don't think Clint Eastwood has the same authenticity as a Western star. No way. Like I just think. Well, he. I mean, no. You just always believe that John Wayne knows how to do the things that he's doing, and mm-hmm. whether he's shooting a it gun, is who, it is the man he's playing. Yeah, I just I don't know that you could name an author or, or an author, an actor that has more of that that sort of like i just believe he is who he's playing like huh. like if you want to define great acting as that then john wayne might be the best that there ever was because you just never ever unless he's playing genghis khan or something that's totally outside of his wheelhouse you just never question the authority of john the wayne. authority the character the integrity the code yeah the i am who i am what you see is what you get and he is just John Wayne. I mean, it's not, what's his name? I guess he's the Ringo kid in this, but yeah. it doesn't matter. He's John Wayne. John Wayne, he's going to be nice to this fallen woman. and He's not going to care what anybody thinks. Yep. He used to be a good cow hand, but things happen. Uh, that's just what men do. That's just what men do. And, and he can pull off stuff like, uh, he says, I'm trying to remember, and I've seen you someplace before. And I she sure says, wish. Yeah. And then he, he says, No, you haven't. And he said, I wish I had, though. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, he, he made it so sweet. He makes it really sweet. He makes it really sweet. I really like the love story in this movie. I think it's pretty great. I think that's maybe what got me excited enough to declare new masterpiece. <laughs> All right. So we're back in the stagecoach. We're on our second leg of the trip towards Apache Wells. We've got snow coming down. The businessman's giving stupid speeches about stupid... Ah, workers, they're the worst. <laughs> it's just like designed <laughs> to get the audience booing this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
also that we can show up in town and they can be like, you're under arrest. <laughs> oh, you thought the telegraph was still broken, didn't you? Well, it's not. <laughs> yeah, we get to the Mexican outpost with the obviously Mexican Apache woman. And Lucy's baby is born. Oh, no, is Doc going to sober up in time? <laughs> <laughs> I bet it'll be funny finding out. Yep. It's, I mean, that's one of those ones that's been done so Pour many times. Pour coffee down his gullet. Yeah. Splash him, splash him with cold water. Oh, yeah. no, he's going to be angry. No, he says, do it again. Ah, hilarious. I love the science of how alcohol works in every movie. You know, it's like if, if Jeff Goldblum's dad has like one good idea for how to kill the aliens, then then Jeff Goldblum instantly sobers up. And it's like, it's, it's like when you need to, you yeah. can just gather your strength and sober up within a couple of minutes. Uh-huh. Yep. Someone sparks your imagination or uh, someone's in trouble. And we have some nice redemption for Mr. P- I mean, he didn't need to be redeemed, but some nice humanity for Mr. Peacock. He's really uh, solicitous of everybody being quiet for the the lady and uh, the baby and everything like that. He's obviously a family man. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that was sweet. And then you got that great iconic love scene between John Wayne and uh, Dallas where he uh, says, I've decided based on five minutes of interaction, we should get married. We should get married. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, you don't know who I am. And he says, I know all I want to know. (laughs) Well, it does capture cinematically all the stuff that our society hates and denies about men and women in just a few minutes and makes you buy it. I mean, it made me buy. I was like, oh, it made me want to cry. I probably did tear up during that scene. Yeah, I mean, down to, like, the thing that changes his mind is he sees her... Or holding does, a baby. Yeah, he sees her holding a baby, and he's like, okay, this woman's obviously uh, wifey material, so... It was really sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's sweet. And he doesn't care about her past, ultimately, and if, you know... And he says so. And if anyone, you know, uh, which everybody to some extent does, has a, a marriage where they had to work through the past one way or another, and then uh, a scene like that can be... Very moving. For perfect people with no pasts, probably not a very moving scene. But uh, We don't, don't recommend this movie to them. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, don't, we don't recommend this podcast for them. I'm trying to think who else has more authority than John Wayne. I mean, not, not authority like he's a macho dude, but just the authority to say, I know all I want to know and make that line play. Like, who else could do that? I think people like Morgan Freeman or um, Denzel, maybe. Maybe only black people are allowed to have that kind of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think too. Dignity and like, I'm just going to decide for Harrison us. Ford could have. Yeah, Harrison Ford in the day. Although he probably would be playing sideways to it one way or another. Mm-hmm. But Harrison Ford. But he would have actually sold it. He could have sold it. If something like The Fugitive. You know. Yeah, I agree. I fought with this man. He, a one-armed man. I, do you think I murdered my wife? Like Dr. Dr. Richard Kimball has that kind of authority for sure. Okay, huh. I think we're to the big stunt scene. Which is amazing. Yep. The, the, this, this movie has a genuinely thrilling action scene. I don't think you have to do any sort of, that's what it was like for old movies sort of stuff. It's just like you're watching great editing and great stunts. Mm-hmm. And it has one of those famous stunts in all of cinema. The great stuntman, Yakima Kanut, who's in things like Ben-Hur. He's just like half the famous stunts that you remember from this era are him. And he does that famous stunt where he plays the Indian who falls in between the the wheels yep. of the horse uh, hmm. and, and the horses go on either side of him. And he actually did that. I mean, there's no, there's no, wasn't any way to fake that. And John yeah. Ford made sure to have him stand up at the end of the shot 
so that we could know that no man died and the- no man died and that this was an awesome stunt as opposed to we just threw a dummy under the mm. yeah john ford was asked why the apache warriors didn't simply shoot the horses to stop the stagecoach and he said that because that would have been the end of the movie uh, so I guess that's a plot Duh. hole. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't Tolkien's in the Eagles? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the Eagles weren't willing, Jake. <laughs> it's difficult negotiating with Eagles, Jake. <laughs> it is difficult negotiating. <laughs> you know what I think? I think that Gandalf, when he said "fly, you fools," was making it really obvious. That they should have just called the Eagles. Oh, is that what he was doing? That's what he was doing. You guys are morons for not just using the Eagles. How? How? Was this wasn't uh, happening? How, how to more me obvious while... could he have been when he said "fly, <laughs> you fools"? And they oh, just like man. ran. No. <laughs> uh, uh, and you've got John Wayne jumping up the line of horses. Yeah, that's pretty great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just it's just a great action scene, and you have the suspense of. Is Hatfield going to be able to shoot the new mom? And he doesn't. He gets killed before he can. Do you ever see Geronimo actually get killed or anything? Or I don't. I was so. trying to pick him out. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the cavalry the just shows up. I mean, this is a movie where the cavalry. The name Geronimo is an obvious Indian name that stands in for all the bad guys. That's it, right? I guess so. But there is a shot. In when they see the stage, yeah, we got a chief indicate, or something, you know. right? I, just I assumed, assumed, that, that, was, I assumed yeah. it was too, because at the beginning of the movie, they're like Geronimo, he's got it in for us, yeah, huh. yeah. Uh, and then we have the final, a little bit of an anticlimax, maybe after such a great action scene in the sort of middle second act, but uh, we've got the final showdown between John Wayne and whoever those guys are, whatever their names are. The, I, the Jerkington mm. brothers. I like that because I didn't know what the movie was going to do. I wasn't sure it was going to give me a happy ending exactly. Yeah, it feels like it might be headed to... Uh, it feels morally like John Wayne almost has to die there because obviously yeah. he can't end up with Dallas. And sh- if she's not going to die, then I guess... He, he needs he, to. He, he can. Yeah. But then the movie's just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I kind of liked. I, I was happy. Mm. I was happy. And I don't think it's... It feels earned, I think. Their love story is told sweetly enough that... Yeah. And you just know Dallas had a heart of gold. She never wanted to be like that. It was society that made, and you know, those darn uh, the league. She's of, an orphan or whatever, right? It, yeah. Yeah, like, sounds something, right. Something like that. Although, if you're a prostitute and your name is Dallas, like you're named for an entire location, that that does that that uh, says something about what the the height of your prostitute Toot dumb. Uh, the, so, geez Louise. Anyway. <laughs> Subtext in movies. Subtext. Um, uh, the final shootout's really cool. I like, the, I like the final shootout. It's pretty great. It's pretty great because it feels like, you definitely feel like he could easily die. Mm-hmm. And you see, then you see the risk he's going to take, the way he's going to dive. Beat him. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and we give Doc a little moment where he stops the bad guys oh, that from was awesome too. stacking the deck. That's and, really fun too. Uh, yeah, it's just a uh, a lot of fun. And then uh, Doc and Sher- Sheriff, uh, what's his name, Curly or whatever, uh, they decide to save Dallas and Ringo from the blessings of civilization, and they go off arm in arm to have a drink. Together. Just one. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, John Ford doesn't use any. He's he's very simple the way that he tells the story. The acting performances are all exactly what they need to be. I don't know that there's a lot to actually talk about with this movie, but it's pretty iconic and it's pretty great. And mm. I recommend that people seek it out. You can probably find crummier versions and better versions. I think if you go to HBO Max right now, you can find the Criterion ed- edition, which is as cleaned up as this movie gets. Um, and some of it's pristine, but then other parts of it are less pristine. Uh, final thoughts on Stagecoach Ben. <clears throat> really fun, really enjoyable. How many strange people out of nine would you give? Oh, to I don't know. I, maybe I'll give it nine. Yeah, there's no reason to not give it. Yeah, nine. there's no there's reason a, to not give it nine. There's nothing objectionable. There's no qualifications that you would make in recommending no. it to someone. It's a good movie. It has there's nothing in it not to like. Yeah, I mean, like you guys said, the the copy that's come down to us is not as great. So you could dock at a state. Uh, uh, that's it. But that's not a fault of the movie. Right. Nope. Yeah. Nah. As, no. As an artifact, as a text, it's just good a, stuff. It's pretty great. Yep. Okay. So we all give it nine stage coaches or no, nine strange, strange people, people out yeah. of nine. Yep. If I'm, now I'm trying to think if you're going to watch one John Wayne movie, what, what movie? I, I suppose I just tell people to watch The Searchers. The thing about The Searchers is it's not that much fun for like if you were introducing no, an eight-year-old you're not going to show that movie to your kids. Oh, here's the other thing I thought we could do. So what John Wayne movie do you introduce kids? Uh, the Quiet Man. The Quiet Man sure does. Hey, it's kind of a it's yeah i mean i use the cowboys but the cowboys actually ends up having some things in it that you're like oh yeah i forgot that that oh yeah i forgot that was oh yeah huh but you know it's just like i have a soft spot for like rio bravo and el dorado and some of those things there's yeah those kind of like fun there's like a middle ground there's the total hangout movies like north of alaska or mcclintock and then there's the serious awesome ones like searchers, and then there's kind of the Rio Bravo, Rio Bravo, uh, El, El Dorado, Elder, El Dorado. Those are some of. If I'm just gonna, just gonna sit down and watch a John Wayne movie just to relax, those would be the ones I think as much as any. But if oh. you wanted to sit down to relax, you're not gonna pick a John Wayne movie. I might, I might, but I don't say that most people would. Uh, Hondo actually is one of Hondo. my favorites. Hondo rules. Hondo has a, f- a moment that <laughs> you guys both know, even if you don't know it's from Hondo which is where the kid's like, I can't swim. And John Wayne's like, no better time to learn. And he throws her in. Throws, I think it's a boy actually, into the water. Yeah. A moment <laughs> that's, he repeats that in McClintock, doesn't he? No. I mean, no? there's, there's okay. lots of uh, people very sillily falling into water and mud and stuff. But Well, yeah, in that fight at the end. But no. I thought there was. <laughs> but I don't think that, yeah. I don't think any, I don't, maybe he does do it more than once. I know many a dad was inspired by that moment famously. So here's how you can learn to swim, drowned <laughs> <laughs> or swim. It's up to you. Uh, that's a good movie. That's a, that's a, that's a fun classic John Wayne movie. Highly recommended. Uh, all right, guys, very quickly, let's cast the modern stage coach. Oh man. Who do you got? To, who's playing Dallas? Scar Joe? Oh, going to be beautiful but slightly past her prime hmm. or maybe you just want to go beautiful how about jennifer lawrence no <laughs> oh no no <laughs> i say no man i don't feel very inspired about this oh well let's, we'll come back dallas is hard what about mr peacock the whiskey salesman i feel like i'm trying to think of actors and it's hard who's the most yeah, meek this is, this is just hard this is a hard one man you'd think it would be they're all types but it's like you just don't have the same 
let's see. Can we put can we put Tom Cruise anywhere? Can we put Mark Ruffalo anywhere? Can we yes. put I'm just throwing out guys that I like. Mark uh, Ruffalo Mark, plays Curly the Sheriff. Or yeah. or or the whiskey salesman. Mark Ruffalo would be an interesting whiskey salesman. Yeah, you could have him do it. I mean he's he can be a great I mean, who are you gonna make play that role? Seth Rogen? Like No, not someone who's who thinks the comedic. whiskey salesman is an idiot. You have to play have to have a comedian who doesn't think the whiskey salesman is an idiot. Right. Steve Carell. No. He, I mean it's just not it's not good comedic actors that you are gonna pull. Yeah. Don't we have any? Well, what about Buck the sta- the the driver? He could be Seth Rogen. Hate to say it. Hmm. Man, this is hard. This, is, this movie's just, making me sad. Just, <laughs> that we're creating. Maybe, I'm like, oh, just I don't want to see uh, this depressing no one that stagecoach. Could, it makes me sad to think there's no one that. Yeah, could. E- Eugene Levy. He can be the. I can't. I can't picture. He's. Him. Uh, Who's that? Uh, Jim's dad. This guy. Oh, 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 Eugene Levy? Yeah, okay. Yeah, All right. He can uh, be the... Who's he playing? Whiskey? Whiskey, whiskey salesman. All right, we've cast one part. Oh, Eugene Levy this is, is the whiskey salesman. All right. Okay, uh, Hatfield the card shark, the gambler. Sh- that can be anybody. Uh, uh, Ethan Hawke. In yeah, his prime. I love it. Ethan Hawke. All right. I mean, Ethan Hawke is that guy, basically. Yep, Ethan Hawke, just a weird, sort, sort of not charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> I like he's, he's pretty great, though. No. Uh, Ringo Kid. Who do we got for the Ringo Kid? Oh, man. Stuff. Oh, well, I, I know who they. I know who Hollywood would would cast. Maybe who? it's a bad choice, but it's Harry Styles. Hmm. Oh, That's who Hollywood yeah. would cast today. I don't like that, but yes. I was I was in Barnes and Noble the other day, and I watched as one of the workers threw a stack of Harry Styles magazines across the floor and said, "Screw this guy! I'm so sick of him." <laughs> because every magazine stand. There are like five Harry Styles displays and he's on the cover of like 10 or something different magazines and it's just like... What have I seen him in except Dunkirk? Nothing, right? Probably only Dunkirk because he really isn't a good actor, I don't think, and hasn't really broken through in anything. He's in that Don't Worry Darling movie that's big right now, um, which is supposed to be terrible and he's supposed to be terrible in it. Gambler, if you want some more fun with the ambiguity of the gambler, Cillian Murphy... Oh sure, Cillian Murphy should be in our movie. Oh, yeah. Cillian Murphy's he's fun. great. All yeah. right, we already had him. Then let's make John Krasinski the somebody. John, because Krasinski... they were fun together in that one movie. Uh, oh no, they weren't even together I in was that like, movie. I just made movie? a weird just, association. I was just trying to think of a movie yeah, that movie? they were in. They weren't. They weren't. Okay, it was just you Cillian just... Murphy replaced John Krasinski in as the leading male in uh, Quiet Place. Oh uh, okay. Oh, oh, hey, okay. that lady, she could do something. Oh, yeah, she could probably... Emily uh, Blunt. Blunt. Should we just make her Dallas so we have a Dallas? Sure. She's a... Yeah, sure. I, I mean, she's could... she, uh, she's arguably better as Mrs. Mallory, but uh, Emily Blunt can do everything. Yeah, that's that's good. Oh, oh, oh. Sheriff, he's old enough. You could give him... Yeah, Noah Emmerich. Noah, sure. Yeah, uh, that guy's awesome. Truman's best friend. Yep, I'll give it to him. All right. All right, what about the banker? Surely there's a fat, fatuous idiot that is in Hollywood that... A very dour Jason Alexander? <laughs> Jason Alexander is the banker. <laughs> Fine, in the interest of time, I'm putting down <laughs> All right. Jason... Okay, but what about the no, doctor? That's terrible. Okay. <laughs> all right, fine. I'm deleting it. I'm deleting it. All right, all right. Trying to get this podcast done, but... Uh... You're the one who inserted the sprinkle at the end of it. All right. Okay. So, what about Doc Doc Boone? Surely, there's somebody who's just 
going to be super fun. Awesome for Doc Boone. I mean, that could be Mark Ruffalo if you wanted. Yeah, but it's got to be older and... He's getting old. I, I, I can all right, all right, I, admit, I admit Mark Ruffalo could do it. But, but yeah, let's pick someone else. Um I'm I'm just I'm just having trouble thinking of actors. Sorry. I just Who's in their sixties? Daniel Craig in one of his like uh <laughs> Daniel Craig actually could. Daniel Craig can do Yeah. You can do that if you want. It's funny you went my mind went to Tom Hanks just giving him a side character be a comedic eat it up kind of role, but I'm tired of seeing him in Every yeah, Tom Hanks is who so. they would cast as Doc Boone, actually, uh, and that would yeah. make a certain amount of sense. Yeah, yeah. But oh, as long as we're uh, as fun as that's actually what you want to cast Tom Cruise in, or something just off. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. D- uh, Tom Cruise. That's the role that you want to take, aged big screen star, and just let him ham up. Uh, okay, I'm putting. Tom, I'm making Tom Cruise Doc Boone. I like it. All uh, right, and maybe Daniel. Craig then can be uh, the embezzler, just uh, T- Daniel Craig. Yeah, I like that. He's just having fun in one of his <laughs> corny, like, uh, I'm not James Bond performances. And and I just thought of something. As Who's that lady that's the new hotness? She could play Dallas. Uh, the lady, she was in the James Bond. She was also in Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, she would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? I don't know what her name is, but. Uh, she was also opposite Daniel Craig in the uh, first Knives Out. Right. She just played Marilyn Monroe in that Netflix thing. Anna de Armas? Yeah. Yeah. And having the Dallas be a woman of color, I think, would add a little something. So that means that. Emily Blunt can be Mrs. Mallory. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, okay, so we've got. I think the ladies are our best casting choices so far. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the only good ones. <laughs> who is the who? Who do we? Who is the breakout John Wayne? Well, that character? is the million dollar question. Is this not like we just don't have the the younger leading man? Is like who's it going to be? Tom Holland? Like there's just not uh, who who who's filling that space? Like. There's a there's a generation above that of Chris's, but mm-hmm. they're aged out of that. Like you're not gonna put Chris Pine or Chris Evans or Chris Chris Pine wouldn't be bad. Pratt. Maybe he's a little old for it now. But. In it. but Chris Pine's a little thin. Yeah, but we're talking about we need somebody younger than that. And How about with more star power? Like you can't like can you pull Heath Ledger out? You want to you want to pull someone you... like Glenn Powell from Top Gun Maverick? That guy has maybe enough charisma. It would be interesting to see if he could stretch oh, into that. I oh, like yeah, that guy. That's not bad. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, this will be a breakout role. He's. Did you? I mean, did you guys see that he's starring in another? This is so retarded. I couldn't even finish the stupid trailer. But he's starring in another movie about an aviator who's the sidekick to the main character, kind of the bad attitude sidekick to the main character. That's ridiculous. It looks really crummy and dumb. This time with Jonathan Majors is playing a, a black airman in a time when that wasn't allowed. So Glenn Powell has to learn to sit down and shut up and be his wingman. Well, there you go. So he's 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 a little typecast already. But um, we could pull him out of that with... Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. ...with Stagecoach. I mean, Miles Teller is pretty good. Yeah, I was thinking... I was wondering whether... But I, but I like the idea of taking a risk and giving it to... Glenn Powell. So that means all we had, all we need to do is cast Buck the stage driver, Friar Tuck, which ought to be easy. Like, who's our corn pone idiot? Huh. Top uh, comedic actors. You're going to get the list that I had, and it's no fun. Steve Martin. Will Farrell. 
Owen Wilson. Yeah, it's like that's it. John Candy, if he was still alive. All right, guys, all we need is Buck the Stage Driver, and this podcast is done. What about that guy who was, what's the name of that actor? He was, he was Will Smith's protege in Hitch. Oh, uh, Kevin Hart? Or yeah. no, not Kevin Hart. Um, no. Kevin something. Yeah. Uh, uh, the King of Queens. That <laughs> Gary <guy>. Oldman. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Johnny <laughs> Depp. Kevin James. Uh, yep, let's do it. All right, so here's our list. We've got Stagecoach. Oh, my goodness. 2022. This movie tanks so hard. <laughs> hey, we've got Anna de Armas as Dallas, the dance hall hostess. We've got... Yeah, and they did Selma Hayek in Wild Wild West, and you know what? Yeah, it didn't right. matter. We've got Eugene Levy as Mr. Peacock. We've got Cillian Murphy as Hatfield. <laughs> we've got Glenn Powell as the Ringo Kid. We've got Tom Cruise as jo- Josiah Boone. We've got Daniel Craig. I oh think this movie is making a billion dollars. We've got Daniel Craig as the embezzler. <laughs> what is wrong with this? <laughs> speaking this of, horrible. We, we could get Kenneth Branagh to play the embezzler. Speaking of Pammy old actors. We could have uh, Daniel Rad- Radcliffe play the Ringo kid. Oh, oh my goodness. So sad. Such a sad day. <laughs> <laughs> um, only if Emma Watson is going to be one of our girls. We've got Daniel Craig as the the embezzler. We've got Noah Emmerich as Curly Wilcox. We've got Kevin James as Buck the oh. Stage Driver. And Emily Blunt <laughs> as Lucy Mallory. Oh, I hate this movie. It's <laughs> such so a bad much. movie. <laughs> I don't want to see oh. any of these people on screen together. No, it's a, it's a really bad mix. I mean, any couple of them, I'd want to see the movie. But uh, all right, folks. Tell us what who's your... Our, who's our director? <laughs> Uh, I Spielberg. Think <laughs> no, no, I think it's obviously Ryan Johnson. Okay, now if Ryan Johnson makes that movie with that cast, I am watching it. I'm, I'm here for it. I don't know what it's going to be, but oh, no, it's all uh, puzzle. It'll, box, it'll be so. interesting, but that's no. Give give Ryan Johnson that plot. He could do something fun with it. He's going to cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt as somebody, though. Yeah, it's fine. I, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I do too. He's a good yeah. actor. I'd put him in any of the male parts. Um, yeah, I, I'll take uh, some some Ryan Johnson. I mean, he'll make it annoying, like the natives are the good guys now kind of thing. It's one way or another. But but maybe if you have Ana de Armas there to kind of represent the minority point of view, you don't need to hmm. redeem Geronimo. I don't know. But probably almost certainly you cast your, a big name as Geronimo and redeem him. You should put Brian Cranston in this movie. Well, there's your Josiah Boone for crying out loud. Yeah. Your who? Yeah, your, your doc. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's a pretty easy. No, that's good. Sorry, Tom Cruise. Thank you. That is a good fix. That is a good fix. Wait, who's who's our Ringo kid again? Glenn Powell. That's right. That's right. I I like that. I think you could, you might be able to stretch Andrew Garfield into it. I don't know. He's he's such a talky guy, but. I don't buy him as very action capable, I don't think, but. um, No, 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 no. Why isn't Don Draper in this movie? He should probably John be in there. Him. Speaking of, I mean, he could, he could actually be Doc Boone as well, and he'd be great at it. Yeah, John Hamm's good stuff. John Hamm is being cast in 5,000 commercials these days. It's really <laughs> weird. Yeah, nobody's ever quite figured out what to do with him post-Mad Men. It makes me sad. because He's like in a sizzle reel for Trey Turner, one of the hottest Major League Baseball guys to hit free agency. He's playing Santa Claus in a World Cup ad. He's like playing across flow the progressive lady in a progressive commercial like he's just like all over the place Jeez. Hmm. Well. in the weirdest ways hey. 
Like Santa Claus in the World Cup commercial is John Hamm is so weird. I hope he enjoys his summer home. You could make Clint Eastwood the sheriff. <laughs> no. You got one foot in the grave, man. Like, yeah, you could, should put Nick Cage as the sheriff before you do Clint Eastwood. Hey, I think we improved this. We just need to... Can we do something with about Eugene Levy? If we take Eugene Levy out, I think yeah, we'll that have was a, movie. a bad. Whose idea was that? What uh, idiot came up with that? And, and Kevin James, if we could get rid of them. <laughs> oh, they're here to stay, my friend. Uh, uh, Mr. Peacock, uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh, okay. You guys both hate that idea. Uh, Buck the stage driver, Steve Buscemi. I bet they both love it this time. Buck, Buck <laughs> no. the stage driver could be John Turturro if you wanted. Okay, fine. That's better. So. Mr. Peacock, the whiskey salesman. We just need a, a good one. What's his name? Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. <laughs> no, too clean. What's, what, what's his name? Cohen Brothers likes the guy. He's in a brother. Tim Blake Nelson. Sure. For Mr. Peacock. Oh, sure. T- why isn't Tim Blake Nelson in this? Tim Blake Nelson's kind of awesome. <laughs> Actually. In his weird way. Tim Blake Nelson is Buck the, sta- the stage driver because he can do like the corny go. like... I'm with yeah, you, fellas. Yeah, that's good. I yeah. like that. That's, so I that's, like that. Okay. So now is John Turturro Mr. Peacock? No. Okay, so who's Mr. Peacock? We need a Mr. Peacock. John Turturro can be someone if you want. It could be anyone. This is making me want to put Robert Pattinson in there, but he, he would never <laughs> consent to be a good Ringo kid. But he could he could pull it, the physicality. and the, Yeah, I mean, John Robert Pattinson can do whatever he wants when he wants to do it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh. Yeah, he says he wants to be in your movie. You... Sure. He's a good actor. Who would take him? It's uh, kind of awesome. And he's got a good presence. Who can... Andy Serkis can be Mr. Peacock. All right, there we go. Little Woody annoyed. Harrelson. Woody Harrelson is Mr. Peacock? Woody Harrelson's weird because he can. He also can do anything, except maybe play a hero. I mean, Woody Harrelson could be anyone from Luke Plummer, the bad the guy that's out for the Ringo kid, to Josiah Boone, like Doc Boone, he'd be great for. Like, Woody Harrelson's got... He's fantastic. For a guy that's so instantly who sort can, of typecastable, he's very... Who can Casey Affleck be? Uh, Casey Affleck could be Mr. Peacock. <laughs> yeah, whoever. Casey Affleck is also awesome. Here, I'll give him Luke Plummer the killer. All right, so we have... That's good. So let's see if we want to watch this movie. Anna de Armas. As, so it's... Uh, who's directing it again? Ryan Johnson. Okay, so it's Ryan Johnson's <laughs> Stagecoach, starring Anna de Armas as Dallas, the dance hall hostess. Woody Harrelson as Mr. Peacock, the whiskey salesman. Cillian Murphy as Hatfield, the, the card shark. Glenn Powell as the Ringo Kid. Brian Cranston as Josiah Boone, the alcoholic doctor. Daniel Craig hamming it up as Henry Gatewood, the embezzler. Noah Emmerich as Curly Wilcox, the marshal. Tim Blake Nelson having fun as Buck, the stage driver. Emily Blunt as Mrs. Lucy Mallory, the expectant mother, and Casey Affleck as Luke Plummer, the killer. I I I would watch that. I know. would, yeah. Yeah, we just we, we, made, we did improve it. We improved it. <laughs> we improved <laughs> dramatically from oh. something that was horrible trash to something that's like I, I, another pass. If we wanted to take yeah. the time, and we ha- we could have something really great, but. Yeah, we've we're so we still have the problem of a lot of conflicting acting styles, and some right. people who feel very modern. Well, you know, you you put you keep Daniel Craig in it, and you're going to have a horrible forced accent that's not going to mesh and jive. You know, this yeah, the acting styles and stuff like that's just not. To be clear, I love Daniel Craig in that race car movie where he does a silly accent, and I love him in Knives Out where he does a silly. I love silly hammy Daniel. I, hey, I'm not James Bond over here, Daniel Craig, but yes, he is wrong for our movie. Yeah, wrong for this version of it, at least. Right. You could make. You could also make Henry Cavill the gambler. 
Anyway, well, he'd be just, fine. Just thinking, he he yeah, he would do awesome. I mean, I like Cillian Murphy a lot, but yes. <sighs> well, we got an acceptable 2022 stagecoach at least. If you if you were to go back about ten years, Charlie Hunnam could be Ringo Kid. Yeah, I, I love I love Charlie Hunnam. I'm sorry, his career never quite took off uh, the way it should have. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a real uh, shame. Well, anyway, folks, cool. I'll tell you, tell you or what? You could have Ben Affleck play the gambler. Ben Affleck can do any number of things. I'd be happy to see Ben Affleck. I always like Ben Affleck in old washed up mode. Yeah. Um, I guess if Tom Card- Tom Hardy wanted to put on his human warmth hat and play Ringo Kid 10 years ago, he could do it too. Yeah, but there's all kinds of people that we could say 10, ah, 20 years ago. Like a- Christian Bale could have been in this. He was in that sure. pretty, pretty okay Russell Crowe. Western, uh, 310 to Yuma. Oh. Not a great movie. I don't like that movie. Uh, I don't really like it either. In fact, I kind of hate it. But it's also pretty, I hated it's, it. it's pretty okay. It, uh, sure. Uh, it's fine. Well, anyway, we've, we've cast an acceptable uh, stagecoach. If people want to tell us what their stagecoach would be, well. Join our Discord. Join our Discord. That's right. Go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies you can be part of the best conversation about movies currently happening on the internet and i think we've got do we have a whole uh casting oh we should just create a channel for recast well no we do we have bad recasts no that's actually in a different show oh that's right but no we have a whole thread on stagecoach so you can come discuss this movie uh argue with our takes Give us your own casting choices in the Stagecoach channel. That'll be fun. Yep. That sounds wonderful. Maybe you think that Eddie Murphy should play all nine roles. (laughs) 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 What could possibly go wrong? In hilarious makeup. Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, let's just get black 90s stars to to make their own Stagecoach. He just did a commercial where he played all the... They did an Eddie Murphy style commercial. That sounds terrible. Why isn't Samuel L. Jackson in our movie? He should probably be in there as long as we're. Anyway, folks, go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Hey, also check out our, I always forget to plug this, check out our YouTube movie show. It's called Sanity on the Scene. I think you can find it at the Sanity on the Movies YouTube. Put either one of those in YouTube and you'll find it. And it's a lot of fun and it sort of condenses some of our thoughts about movies into fun, bite sized like less than 10 minute videos that you can watch with your teenagers. Uh, just, Some uh, people in our, uh, our discord say that, they, or one person in our discord said that they uh, share it with their men's group. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Uh, awesome. They're designed for that sort of thing. Like here's a little burst of infotainment that can help make you more literate as you approach film, which is something that is drastically lacking among almost everyone these days. So, Go to check that out, share it, promote it, send it to your friends, send it to your enemies. We'd appreciate it. Support us at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. We'd like to hit that 250 mark so we can talk about Tim Burton and Richard Donner, uh, which would be a lot of fun. So help us out. Until next time. I need to know. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. I had nothing. <laughs>